Jay of the Dead here. Don't forget to email your top 10 horror movies of 2016 list to horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com before January 1st. New Year's Eve, December 31st is the deadline. Please put top 10 horror of 2016 in the subject line and we'll bring you our top 10 episode on Friday, January 6th, 2017. Thanks. Hey, this is Jody from Toledo, and you're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror films. horror movie podcast where we're dead serious about horror movies we have a bi-weekly show that's released every other friday and this is episode 106 it is one of our frankensteinian episodes my favorite sort where we discuss tons and tons of different horror movies and when i say tons and tons i mean we're gonna be talking about somewhere around 20 horror films tonight most of them from 2016 in this one episode And that's what we do here on Horror Movie Podcast. We bring you in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I'm your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City. And my co-hosts tonight are... Dave Dr. Shock Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh and Jay, it said it wants to hurt you. (laughs) When did it say that? Just now. Right now. (laughs) From behind you. Yeah, I remember. Okay. Well done. You know what? Tonight is a momentous occasion. It's the first time we're doing a Frankensteinian episode in about 10 months. And (laughs) I'm so excited about our special guest tonight. Josh, would you like the honors of introducing this special guest? I always kind of like hog that opportunity. And I thought, you know what? This guest is so special. Maybe Josh would appreciate an opportunity. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it takes my gentle touch to be able to uh, introduce someone as well as as you but here we go <laughs> this person this mystery guest <laughs> is a longtime hmp listener one of our one of our early listeners let's see she was the recent winner of the at your mercy library horror contest if yes. people remember that 45 minute discussion about prize giveaways from <laughs> the last episode um she is uh she's well versed in cinematic rarities and oddities she's always uh, educating us in the comments section of horrormoviepodcast.com about all of the films that we should have been covering that we missed. <laughs> um, she attends these cool revival screenings with her husband in Portland, Oregon. She's a business person. She has her own business where she sells, is it fair to say, fairy-related products? <laughs> I own uh, them little, all. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> You can tell us more about that. (laughs) And my favorite thing about this guest is that she sent us or she allowed us to repost a photograph of her wearing her horror movie podcast T-shirt at the final Motley Crue tour uh, with (laughs) some friends. So that welcome to the show, Allison, with a Y. (laughs) Hi, thanks. Yeah. Wow, that was (laughs) a great introduction. And uh, I'm not sure if I can live up to all the 
movie knowledge praise that you guys gave me, but I will do my best. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. It's definitely welcome. I love to hear from lady horror fans because honestly, in my everyday life, I don't actually know that many lady horror fans like in person. Do you run into that many, Josh? Well, having done this podcast now, I know a lot, but yeah, not in my not in my everyday life. I don't meet many horror fans, period, in my everyday life. So right. that's what I like about this community so much, actually. Yeah, me too. What about you, Dave? Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. I, I don't have too many people I know. There's one or two who like horror movies, but for the most part, there aren't many, period, who watch them. So now it's it's great. I've, that's one of the things I like about the community as well, is that you run into people from all walks of life who mm-hmm. are horror fans. That's what makes it great. That's right. And so in that way, Allison with a Y is kind of a a horror (laughs) unicorn on our podcast (laughs) and we're grateful to have her. So guys, today as we record this, it's December 14th as we record this. And um, it was kind of like Christmas early for me. I just want to tell people uh, our friend Bill Shetty over at Horror on the Go, he dropped his top 10 horror movies of 2016 episode over at HorrorOnTheGo.com. Oh, he did that early he's confident yes he yes he is fairly early didn't he yes he is and he's joined now he's got a new regular co-host which is lady phantom from back in the planet macabre days and wow he he gave his uh top 10 horror as well as uh six honorable mentions on there of course i listened to it today and i will say i think people should check it out but guys he's missing some picks i think he's got a few omissions that um I don't know. I got on my list and I'm like, where are they on your list, Bilgetti? So I'm going to have to tease him about that. I actually tried to persuade him to re- reveal that list on this podcast. And he's like, no, I'm going to do it on mine. So I'm like, okay, fair enough. So go check that out at Horror on the Go. And Josh, I believe you have an announcement for people about our contests. Well, we did actually spend 45 minutes doing giveaways at the end of the last episode. And so... I fear that not too many people sat through that entire thing to find out that they did in fact win prizes. And so we just, I wanted to let people know now, if you have not heard that, you might want to check it out because I haven't heard back from probably 50% of the people that won prizes uh, in order to get those shipped out. So uh, let us know if, if you want to win something. If we don't hear back from you by the time we record the next episode, we might just have to give them to somebody else. So That's right. And uh, Allison, with a Y, as usual, is a perfect example because she got back to us and just today we mailed out her prize. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did get a reminder email, so. Aw, <laughs> that's nice. Well, here's what we're going to do. I'm, I'm dying to hear from Allison. I'm dying to hear some of her horror movie reviews. So let's jump right into it, guys, and move into our feature review of The Wailing. Okay, The Wailing is a 2016 Korean film directed by Na Hong Jin. 
and it is in the paranormal realm. It's uh, about a police officer in a small Korean town and strange things start happening. And soon those strange occurrences are blamed on a Japanese man that lives out in the woods. And so this police officer who's, he's pretty dim witted. He's, he's not the sharpest tack. He's a, he's kind of a bumbling idiot. A lot of the time he kind of begins investigating the situation, but not wholeheartedly despite seeing some scenes early on that are pretty disturbing, like almost like zombie outbreak or possession kind of looking uh, people, but it's, it's played. I don't want to say it's played for last Jake, Cause this is going to turn you off. That's going to turn you off, but it's in that unique Korean tone that I, that I've only really seen in Korean films where it's got the darkest humor that just, manages to be funny and creepy at the same time. And it's unnerving that these people are acting in kind of these supernatural ways, but they're the police are relating to them as though they're just like a drunk guy on the street. And um, <laughs> soon the threat gets more severe and it gets very severe, but this is a film that builds. And I think the film it becomes by the end is not anything like what I thought I was getting within the first 20 minutes of the movie. Um, it it gets, goes a lot further. It gets a lot scarier and kind of personal and darker as it goes. Um, it really ramps is what I'm saying. And I had no issues with the pacing of this film myself. I loved it. And I've seen the film three times now. Um, I have heard from a couple <laughs> of our listeners like Sal, who thought it was a bit slow or in a, in a bit over long. And I was really surprised to hear that because I didn't have any issues with that. I will say the first half does not play as well on repeat viewing because you know where it's headed, but it's such a pleasurable experience for me. Um, I just, there's something about Korean cinema and I don't claim by any stretch of the imagination to be an expert. All I know is I love pretty much every Korean horror film that I've seen. I really love and not just the horror films, but also kind of the thriller dramas as well, like mother and memories of murder and mm -hmm. old boy. I yeah. love those films, but the horror films, like I saw the devil, I mean, really are just so incredible thirst. We've talked about on the show and, and it's two ahead. hours, 36 minutes. Is that right? Is my reading that right? I'm not sure, but I didn't feel, I did not feel that. Okay. And so I know that for some people, I know that Sal is notorious for this. I know that Jay has been has been called out as having his finger on a stopwatch during the film. Clock I will watcher. just tell you that <laughs> during my experience, I'd never once marked the length of the, it was. I was just completely on the edge of my seat, interested in what was happening in the town. And the thing I like about this, and I'm going to talk about this a couple of times tonight, because we have actually several foreign films that we're going to be discussing. I love not knowing the tropes. I love being introduced to, I'm so familiar with the American ghost story, even if it is an inventive screenwriter, even if the story structure or uh, the events transpire in unexpected ways, I still kind of know where we're going. And in some of the films we're talking about tonight and particularly the Wailing, I really had no idea what to expect. I didn't know where this was going. I didn't know what culturally when they're tying things to, um, you know, 
And I think in some ways it's a bit of a kitchen sink and it feels like it again as an outsider, not knowing the legends, not knowing the mythologies, not knowing the belief systems and culture that this is based on. It feels like a bit of a hodgepodge, but it's, but it all works well together in a cohesive way um, within the film. And so it just, it's just a very, it's just a very strange experience is all I can really say. And I feel like that about a lot of Korean cinema with my limited, uh, Kind of experience with it but this for me is an extremely unique movie this is one of the best movies i've seen this year nice allison what about you what's your take on the whaling oh i thought it was really really good uh first of all but yeah it's the second korean horror movie i've ever seen so i'm not mm. really well versed with korean horror um or really asian horror in general which is embarrassing to say as a horror fan but uh this was i felt like it was so rich with symbolism, with visual symbolism that I felt like a lot of it was kind of going over my head because I was lacking some cultural references, but I felt like it was all very purposeful. And like, there's, you know, this is telegraphing what's actually happening here. I'm just not quite getting it. And so I feel like I only saw it the one time uh, Drew and I watched it a few nights ago. And I think I'll go back and check it out again because now knowing how it ends, I can like look for things that sort of tie in. And there's definitely things that you see at the beginning that tie into what happens in the end. But you, know, you only saw it the about. one time, Allison. Come yeah. on, Allison. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there, yeah, it was, and the other thing I have to say is it's gorgeously shot. It's a beautiful mm-hmm. film to look at. And uh, the location was so beautiful that, you know, Drew and I were looking and we're like, wow, what part of Korea is that? That's a really beautiful spot. I wouldn't mind visiting that village, you know, as long as people don't have demonic rabies or whatever. <laughs> it was so, so pretty. And, you know, and even like, you know, there, it's sort of a stark contrast to the really dark, awful things that are happening to the people in the story. Just, you know, and the setting is gorgeous. Yeah. Now, Allison, we were just were talking online as we were a little bit as we were prepping to do this episode, and you mentioned that you had just recently gone to a revival screening of The Exorcist. Yeah. And yeah. The Exorcist is the number one movie that came to mind thematically when I was watching this movie. I just felt like, again, like a lot of the symbolism went over my head, but I but I bought into the authenticity of it. And as I was watching, I was like, this is like Korea's exorcist in a way. Like, and again, not really knowing what I'm talking about, but that's what I felt like. I felt like I'm seeing the exorcist in done by another culture right now. And that was really exciting to me. Yeah. I felt like there were definitely some strong parallels, but there wasn't so much similarity that it felt like it was ripping it off or not not something totally fresh. Like it's an element of the story, but it's definitely like, if you go into it thinking I'm getting the exorcist, you're not getting a Korean version. It definitely just has elements of that story. Yeah. And I don't want to, I don't want to miss sell it, I guess by saying that, but I guess what I'm saying is um, being completely like wholly unique as a film and 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 bringing just all of the elements from their culture, how they would handle similar situations, I guess, is what uh, I'm talking about there. It's not in sure. any way plot-wise or anything related to The Exorcist. It's just that you're dealing with a similar, similar situations and kind of how, you know, rather than a Catholic priest, although we do get, <laughs> we do get some Christians in the film as well. And that's interesting. I like the play between the Buddhists and the Christians in this film. It's really fascinating. I thought as well, but to have the shaman in the film 
that you just don't things you just don't get that much in American movies that I just I don't know that to yeah. me the shaman stuff to me was where I was just like I am 100% in on this movie when I got to that scene I was just like this is my favorite movie I've seen this year <laughs> like I love this scene and um, I was kind of on board from that point on I think my my favorite thing about the whole story is it was really hard to tell who was supposed to be good and who was supposed to be evil yes. in parts of it yes and I think a lot of times in American film that's always much more obvious and cut and dry. And I like that other cultures are more ambiguous about it. And you can think, you know, where a story is going to go and start to guess and then have, have that whole theory be turned on its head. Mm -hmm. Now there are a lot of twists and turns in the movie, but I kind of saw the story as pretty simple as I was talking to other listeners uh, during the week or the last couple of weeks. Some of them were really confused as to what they had just seen. They, they had no idea what even happened at some points, which surprised me. Um, but Dino, for instance, and I'll put the link to this in the show notes, or, D or Dino probably will. But it found this video that kind of explains the whaling. And when I watched that, I was like, oh, okay. Like that really cemented a lot of the ideas I had had about the film, um, having already seen it twice at the point that I, that I watched that. But You can always count on Dino for Cliff's Notes videos. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I did do a little bit of research after the fact to try and pick out what some of the visual things that struck my, you know, in my mind that stuck in there, what those were about, because I thought, okay, I don't quite understand what this is. And I think it's significant. And so I did, I did do a little bit of research myself, but I definitely waited till after the movie. So mm. spoilers. <laughs> I paid a hefty VOD fee to watch this. And then I liked it so much. I bought the Blu-ray and then it came out on Netflix like the next day. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's currently streaming on Netflix, right? Yeah. In, Netflix, in the United yeah. States. For Amazon or people who don't have Netflix, it's on like a dollar 99 only on other platforms like Amazon Insta video. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, as far as the tone, you guys like how scary is it? I mean, is this a genuinely creepy, freaky film or what? I'm not, it's low key, but it's, it's kind of just a, it's just, I mean, you've seen mother J mm -hmm. it, it just is just unsettling all the way through this. This is a horror movie where that one's not ultimately. Right. Um, so this one actually gives you all the horror moments as well along the way, but it has that same kind of just weird unsettling vibe to it. Um, just an ominous kind of, but just also quirky and fun tone to it for me uh, all the way through. What do you say, Allison? Um, yeah, I, w I would say that it's it definitely, um, like you said earlier, it builds. It, I felt like it was a lot lighter at the beginning, and then there was sort of increasing dread and increasing confusion, um, and it definitely gets darker as it goes. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. It I wasn't I wasn't like. I was creeped out a little bit and then there were, you know, some moments where I felt some sadness for what was happening, but I, I wasn't like on the edge of my seat terrified or anything like that. Yeah. A lot of this quote unquote scary scenes have the feel of like a police procedural where they've stumbled upon like a cult or something. You know what I mean? Like they, there's a lot of, um, there are a lot of everyday people dealing with these kind of situations. And because he's a police investigator it has kind of a, uh, you know, detective movie vibe as well what about for people like for the listeners out there if they don't typically love subtitled films if it's difficult for them to enjoy those is this um a tough film to watch that way or is it pretty easy to keep up with everything hmm. Allison, I, what do you think? I thought it was pretty easy to keep up i i don't usually have a real rough time with subtitles but um 
I, I would say that there's enough just being shown to you that even if you missed a sentence or two, you would pretty much know what was happening. Okay. I'm going to be talking about another Korean film that is maybe more easily accessible to just the average person because it has more action elements. This is not that. This is kind of like a creepy, slow burn, supernatural film, detective movie. And the other one's more of like an action, fast zombie movie. So that that one would be like, if you've never watched a subtitle film before, maybe try that one before this. But I don't think, <laughs> you know, I don't think anyone's going to have trouble with this. I got you. Okay, so anything else before we move into ratings on this? Um, not, yeah. not, okay. not that I can think of, no. <laughs> okay, so um, Allison, start it off. Uh, what, what are your final thoughts and rating for The Wailing? Oh, gosh. I, I really thought this was a well-crafted movie. Um, I'm not accustomed to rating things, but if I was going to go by your scale, um, I'd probably give it an 8.5. Okay. You tell I'd, people to... To buy this one, or is it a rental, or where? where does I it would fall? say high priority rental. Definitely, if you have Netflix, stream it um, before they change out their inventory. And um, if you're somebody who likes to collect a lot of DVDs or Blu-rays, then sure, yeah. Okay, thank you, Wolfman Josh. What about you? I just second what Allison said about this being well shot and beautiful to look at. I also think there are just some moments that, yeah, it's not terrifying, but it's it's just so creepy and, and there are just moments that it just, just freaked me out so much. Just there's, there's a woman, um, in a shed scene. I'll just say that like that, like that stuff. I was just like, ah, the whole time. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I was really scared. Um, and, and I don't know. I, I loved it. I, I think I'm going to come in higher on this film this has so much texture and depth to it. I feel like this is a movie I could watch a hundred more times and not get sick of it. Not everyone will feel that way. If you're not accustomed to foreign films, um, if you're not really accustomed to Korean cinema, you may not know what you're getting into yet. I think if once you watch it, if you know you like Korean films, you're going to like this. Like this is not nearly as slow as like something like Memories of Murder, which is also like, that's like a serial killer detective Korean show. This is... Um, you know, much more typical horror than that is and much more briskly paced. But for the average person, I don't know if you'll appreciate it quite as much as me, but I'm going to give this a 10. I'm going to say <laughs> buy it. And this is absolutely one of my, this is going to be in my top three films of the year for sure. Wow. Well, you guys, you both sold me on this actually. I wasn't, I wasn't as motivated to see it, even though I've heard a lot of you know, a lot of rave reviews, but I'm definitely going to see it now. Is this, I see it's not rated by the MPAA, but like which rating would it fall into R or PG 13 or what? I think just language alone, it would be R. Um, I'm trying to think of what the other elements would be, but okay. There's so, a lot of blood, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's some, there's, and also there's some, just some disturbing subject matter. So I think, yeah. I think it would get an so, R. So my wife wouldn't like it, basically. No. Okay. I always try to <laughs> figure out something that she'd like on Netflix. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And I, I wanted to add, I really didn't think that it was slow at all. In fact, once Drew and I were talking about how long the movie actually was after we'd seen it, we were actually surprised that it was two yeah. and a half hours long because it didn't feel that way. I would agree with that. And like, I had the same reaction when Sal said it was long. I was like, what? What are you talking about? And I think... um 
I don't want to speak, Sal, don't get mad at me, but I think he's kind of like you, Jason, where he probably looked at the time before he started it and then was like kind of like counting the minutes while he was watching it um, because that's just, you know, some people watch movies like that. That's fine. Sal, right? it's good to be like Jay of the Dead. I I'm love it. Judging, <laughs> I'm not judging you guys. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I for me, I absolutely did not notice the running time when I was watching it. I'm with you. Well, I saw The Devil. Uh, that, and that's a Korean film for 2010. Mm-hmm. I, we all love that one, I believe. And it's yeah. two hours, 21 minutes. And um, that even though I, I felt the length of it, you know, the the movie and so forth, but it wasn't as it was. It didn't like bore me or anything. I was really engaged. So it sounds like the wailing is that way for you guys. Okay. Yeah. And I, I would just say, I'm just so people know, I am someone who doesn't mind a long movie as long as it's continually engaging. So, you know, if I like it, it can be as long as it wants to. It could be four hours as long as it's continuing to engage me. So okay. I'm not maybe the best barometer on that. All right. Well, if I need to look for a different barometer, <laughs> I will. I'm just kidding. Allison with a Y, thanks for watching The Wailing. I, the listeners don't know this, but she did a lot of homework for this episode, and I'm very impressed with her watch list. And Josh, how in the world did you were you able to watch this three times? That's incredible. I I loved it so much. I saw it several I don't know maybe four weeks ago on VOD, and then I bought the Blu-ray as soon as it was available, <laughs> and then I watched I watched it twice since then. I mean, yeah, I uh, I'm reviewing many films tonight, and I'm in a stage in my work where I'm just sitting at a computer editing all day, and it's mind numbing, mindless work. So. I can just like watch a movie the entire time I'm working. So I've had, a, I've had a lot of chance to catch up on things. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. Because of these 20 films we're talking about tonight, uh, you saw most of them and I was just so jealous of you when I saw that. But okay. Well, thanks guys for uh, reviewing the whaling Dr. Shock and I, we are definitely going to be getting to this one before our top 10 show. Right, doc? Absolutely. And you own it too now, don't you, Dave? I, I do. I, I had um, I had gone to Walmart and bought a whole bunch of stuff for my for my birthday with some birthday money, and I, and I got things like the Invitation on Blu-ray, and I had uh, picked up some other sort of low-budget horror films that I actually reviewed back in October. And I looked at the pile and I said, "Wait a second, can I have the Wailing here?" And I don't remember picking this one up. Obviously, I did. Uh, it's on Blu-ray. I mean, it's on DVD though. I did not get the Blu-ray, which mm. is a little disappointing now that. Knowing that it's on Blu-ray, but hey, I have it, and I'm definitely I will be watching it before the top ten, absolutely. Okay, all right. And uh, another thing that you got to catch up with, Dave, was The Conjuring Two. Tell us about that. Yes, I did. Okay. Um, well, I'll tell you what. I, I was a big fan, obviously, of the first Conjuring. So I wanted to see I wanted to see The Conjuring Two, and I really liked the concept that the sequels are going to just follow a completely different case um, from, you know, from the Mm -hmm. Warren files that I thought is great. I thought that's such a good idea because it's just going to be, it could be fresh every time, even though it's going to be, we kind of know what to expect along the lines of maybe some of the, you know, going to get these sort of jump scares and, and this sort of structure, but it's, it's just nice to, to see that, okay, it's going to be a different, and even this time, you know how like the conjuring opened up with that doll, um, with, I guess, the Annabelle doll or mm-hmm. whatever it was. This one, they go right for the jugular with the Amityville. And this is like <laughs> the opening uh, of, we're, we're, in the, we're in the Amityville house, uh, which I thought was, I liked, I liked that opening. I liked that they opened it that way. Um, one of the, 
sort of demonic forces in this um, confirm something I've known from 12 years of Catholic school. And that's that uh, that nuns have an evil side. Um, you have, uh, I like that both Patrick Wilson and uh, Vera Farmiga returned um, because I think they're sort of settling into the characters nicely. Um, I know some people on the boards have issues with the Warrens themselves. I, I'm not sure if, I, I, and I might be misspeaking here, might have been Red Cap Jack. It is Red Cap Jack. He uh, yeah. really detests the Warrens. And then, <sighs> yeah, and I don't know enough about Red them. Red Cap Jack. Yeah, well, no, I, I'm I don't kidding. know enough. I don't know enough about the actual Warrens um, to to comment one way or the other. You know, I'm certainly not looking at the movie as a defense of theirs. I, I, from what I understand, they had some uh, sort of uh, shady. Um, uh, how do you put it? That they they kind of uh, well, he uh, thinks of their frauds and that all right, of yeah, fraudulent, they're scamming people essentially and really hurting people. And if you see the Miamiville horror documentary, I think that probably uh, sheds light on what okay. he's talking about. Okay, well, that, that I'd be interested to see that now. So I think so. I, I can understand having an issue with it for that, but I like the way that they build the characters in this movie. I, whether they're based on real people or not, you know, I, I would, I just like the, the, the two actors and I like the chemistry that they have. And I, and I think they've settled into it, uh, into it nicely. And I like, I, I enjoyed the, the, the change of the uh, setting with this one, taking it over to England mm-hmm. and the, the little, the family at the center of this. Uh, I liked it just as much. I can see I, it's going to take a few more viewings, but I can actually see myself, Maybe going to this one a little bit more, even than the original. And I'm a big fan of the original. I love it. I still think it's great. And I'm not, yeah. I, I'm not ready to say this is better than the original. But I do want to see it a few more times just to sort of see what I feel, you know, what what my opinion is going to be uh, down the road. Because I'm not sure that I won't have that opinion. You yeah. know that that I like this one a little bit more. Yeah, and I know that Wolfman Josh, you got to catch up with Conjuring too as well, right? I did, yeah, and I had not reviewed this previously on the show. I um, I'm with Dave. Although I'll go further and just say I think I prefer this to the original for sure. I mean, oh. I think I I am a big fan of the original film. I think it has more to offer in some senses, and I like the introduction to those characters. But I like this, and I was tweeting about this this week as a franchise. Like I just want to see the Warrens in different situations. I'd watch 20 movies with the Warrens, um, especially as portrayed by Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga. Like I love them. The idea of this like seventies ghostbusters out there. I mean, ugh, it's just so good. I, I love their dynamic as characters. Um, and I like this setting better than the original. So I think, I think that's why it takes That's the element that takes me over the edge. Um, as opposed to the original films, I just really enjoy the setting a lot more. I think it's a lot more fun. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Okay. And Allison, did you get to see the conjuring too? No, I didn't. I, I was interested in it, but no, I haven't seen that one yet. And I'm actually a f- kind of more thinking that that's going to be one that might keep me up at night. So oh, yeah. on. <laughs> it's creepy. It's really scary. And, um, I have reviewed it before on the show. Um, I give it a 7.5 at the time that see it in the theater and called it a, a rental. But um, don't let the trailer discourage you because I really felt like on one hand, the trailers to The Conjuring 2 were not very enticing to me. But on, on the other hand, it was good in that it didn't reveal too much, at least the first trailer, like the later trailers do 
reveal the monster. And actually, I think the monster is the strongest part of that film. Uh, the monster it still sticks with me. I still think about that monster. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And, Je- and Josh, I don't know if you if you got this feeling as as, as watching. Do you think James Wan is definitely sort of um, uh, maturing as a filmmaker? I'm thinking specifically about that first scene with the family at night, and mm-hmm. how he just sort of moved the camera all through, just sort of seamlessly, um, from one room to the next, and just focusing on um, action in one room, and it continues as he takes the camera down the hallway. And he seems uh, a bit more restrained. Uh, I still think, you know, I, I, I talked about this when we reviewed the first conjuring, which I think was episode on your first episode of the show, Dave. Yeah. Episode it two. was yeah, episode two. two, right? Um, I, I think I don't prefer his style, you know, his kind of flashy style with this type of film, just because I, I wish I had more of a seventies grit to it. Um, Okay. To match the the world we're in, I wish the film right. style matched a little bit better. But I do feel like he is more mature and restrained in this film than he was in the first film. And right. um, I'm going to reserve judgment until I see uh, Aquaman as to what his oh right what right his style is at. But um, but yeah, I mean, I don't. Th- I think everything he did complemented the material and didn't distract from it. And it wasn't my preferred look, but I still think he did a great job. Cool. So and I'm not I'm not a fan of his uh, prior to the Conjuring films. That was the first time I really mm. liked anything he'd done as a huh. vis- from a visual point of view because I just don't like his visual approach. Okay, so uh, Doctor Shock, what do you rate the Conjuring to? I know you gave the first one an eight and said buy it. I'm going to give this one the same thing. I'm going to go with an eight uh, and say buy it. Uh, because it, I could see eventually going to an 8.5 with it, but I don't want to go over the first one yet. So I'm going to go with an 8, but I would say pick it up. Yeah, I think this is one you're going to rewatch. Okay. And uh, Wolfman Josh, you rated the original, the first The Conjuring, you rated it an 8 as well and said buy it. What do you say on this one? Same thing. I mean, I think, you know, this <laughs> one has strengths that, uh, kind of make it the more watchable one for me or the one I would revisit more. But the other one has strengths that, you know, in some ways it makes it a better film. So I I think it kind of evens out for me to eat and buy it. Okay. Excellent. Well, thank you. So those are our thoughts on the conjuring two there catching up on this. So uh, let us know in the show notes, what you all think. And uh, Dr. Shock, you also got to catch up with the boy and um, we're going to talk about this and maybe uh, fight about it a little bit, but let's, we're going to also be very careful about spoilers on this. I don't know, Jay. I don't know how we're going to discuss this. Should we do, I mean, we could probably at the beginning not, you know, talking about the, the, the film, but I think at some point we might have to go into spoilers because I don't know how else we're going to, we're going to discuss this. If you want to fight about it, that's what we're going to be fighting about. Well, I mean, how, that's, you know, I, I, I've thought about this all day anticipating this little discussion (laughs) i I have and i think um because this this film might turn up in a couple weeks again and so maybe we can give people a couple of weeks to see it if they haven't yet uh, depending on how they feel about our conversation and maybe then we could fight with some spoilers but i i just want to say i i know that um well first go ahead and give your general thoughts no spoilers and uh, i have a rebuttal generally I really was into this movie for, was it an hour and a half? I'd say probably for about an hour and 10 to hour and 15 minutes of it. I really was, was into this movie. <laughs> uh, I liked 
I like this. I like the setting. I like the actors, but I really like the story. I liked where they what they were doing with this doll. Basically, if, you know, those who don't know this this girl um, from America, she's trying to escape a abusive relationship uh, with her boyfriend. So she heads over to England, takes a job as a as a nanny part time for an older couple going away, uh, going to watch their child. But when she gets there, she finds out the child is actually a porcelain doll that they treat as if it was their son. Um, trying to think, what was the what was the boy's name? Um, <laughs> yeah, I can't remember perfect, what it was. Perfect name too, by the way. It was. Um, yeah, it was. It, it was. I mean, and um, Brahms. Sorry. Yeah, Brahms. Brahms. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. their, their son Brahms, and that you know, she go the 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 um, woman goes through the whole list of you have to give Brahms his lessons, you have to tuck him in at night, and there's a whole there's a whole list of rules that this woman has to follow. Of course, as soon as they leave, Greta, who's the star, she says, "Okay." She throws a doll in the corner and says, "Whatever," and just kind of goes on with her. <laughs> hanging out around the house, calling, talking to her sister about um, how the boyfriend keeps coming around looking for her, uh, sort of uh, flirting with Malcolm, this guy who works in town and delivers groceries a few times a week out to the out to the estate. Um, but then something happens where she starts to hear footsteps and she starts to hear like laughs uh, or, or crying. And, and there's there are some creep. There's one extremely creepy scene where. She goes past the door, and the head of the doll she had laid it in its bed is looking out the out the door. It's like, and and I'll tell you what, that it worked. A lot of those scenes at the beginning really worked, and for like I said, a good hour and ten to hour fifteen of this hour and a half movie, I was definitely into it, and then it all just sort of fell apart at the end for me. Okay, so. If I may. Okay. <laughs> yep. I know this has kind of been a divisive film, honestly. And and before I jump into this, Allison, did you catch up with the boy yet? No, no. And actually, um, dolls really creep me out. So I'm not sure if I'm going to watch it or not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, then, then this one, then this one will get you for, for a, a good portion of a time. It, this oh, will, yeah. this will creep you out. It, it definitely will. And, um, so uh, this is one I highly recommend. I truly love this movie. I hope that Wolfman Josh and Allison, I hope you guys will get to see it. And everybody else. I'm out- not watching this. <laughs> what? You're not? I'm not going to watch it, no. Why? Why? <laughs> uh, I, well, dolls do creep me out, actually, as well. But this also just looks stupid to me. I think it looks, looks bad. Did you see the trailer? Yeah. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> here's the thing. Like, first of all, Dr. Shock is right. I mean, it is creepy along the way, genuinely so. And there is joy in the journey. And then, like, films that take you on a ride, there's merit in that. And even if you don't love the ending, which I do, by the way, but even if you don't love it, um, you know, there's still joy in the journey, and that's valuable. But, 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 Dave, here's my main rebuttal with no spoilers. When, when is it not the case, really... When you um when you understand more about a monster or the evil or whatever it is, when the mystery is removed, when the unknown is removed and you find out, when the mask is taken off, it does it it decreases the effect, it lessens the the scariness of it and I think that's just you know, I think that's just a a function of demasking the monster so to speak. True, so, true. but in this case, it's not just a matter of of demasking a monster this is a matter of i know what you thought 
but guess what? Right. And, right. It, and it raises <laughs> a dozen more questions than it answers. Oh, and it. I'm just going to throw one out there. I'm just going to throw one out there, and it's just going to be real quick just for you, Jay. No one else I think will understand if they haven't seen the movie is going to understand what the question is. Okay, knowing what we know, in the privacy of their own home, why did they bother with the damn doll? <laughs> okay, well, um, we'll have to talk about that in our spoiler discussion in the future. But that's All a, right. that's great. That's great. So, um. <laughs> just a couple other notes we're going to move on but um I, I do think so by the way i gotta call out my friend bill shetty he won't care at all that i'm calling him <laughs> out but i don't know if you saw what he wrote on his twitter about this but i i guess the film rubbed him the wrong way as well and on his twitter he just put it out there and says Hey everybody! I want to tell you what this is, what it isn't, basically. Well, he, 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 <laughs> he, he spilled he did it. Spoil the movie. He he spoiled the movie uh, with with. And, te- technically, technically, without going into detail, I guess. He, well, yeah, um, right. he kind of you know he didn't he didn't he didn't give you everything. He didn't you know remove all of it, but he did sort of tell you what it what it is and what it isn't. Yes. Anyways, um, I, I was disappointed in him, and I'm sure he doesn't care. At all, but I'm just putting it out there. When I reviewed this, I rated 8.5 out of 10 at the time I said see it in the theater. And I said, buy it. I love the boy. And who doesn't love Lauren Cohen from The Walking Dead either, by the way? Right. See, Josh, True. Lauren Cohen, just saying. But He's like, I don't care. Yeah, I like her, yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. All and, right. and, I, and I liked her in this movie, too, because she brought some, some depth to this character because mm-hmm. she's just kind of like, whatever, with this doll. But then you, you come to find out that she has something from her past, and she starts to embrace the whole situation, and it really delves into her character more. Mm-hmm. And you learn more about her character. Yes. Um, but we'll get into it more in the top ten episode because it's not just the very ending. Something happens just before that too. That is where I started to say, "Wow, this is this is just not thinking things through properly here." Okay. And we'll get into that in the top ten. I won't go any. I won't go any further than than that here. I can't wait. Well, I challenge everybody to watch it. And honestly, you'll probably either hate it or love it. But it seems like there's really no in between on the boy. So check it out, Dave. What do you rate the boy? By the way, um, I would rate the boy a six. And I would say it's a low priority rental. Okay. That makes me mad. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Joshua, you saw a movie called Beyond the Gates. Mm-hmm. How was that? So that was pretty good. Um, not great. I think this was a movie that when I heard the premise, I was like, oh, okay, this and I saw the poster. This is one where the poster totally sold me. I was like, this is definitely going to be in my top five. I can tell already. Like it was at all the big <laughs> film festivals and you know, the art was just right. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I just like, okay, this is, this is in my wheelhouse of things I'm going to enjoy. And it's definitely made for like the hipster doofus audience. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, it's, 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 wow. it's, uh, it's, it's good, but it's not great. It's got a huge amount of problems. I think this is one that people do not need to rush out and see for their year and lists I, I think there aren't many who will make their year end lists um and i'm disappointed because i thought the premise was strong so basically what you have is two brothers who have some tension between them and you're not sure why their father has gone missing 
and he apparently goes missing a lot, but this time it's been significant enough that they're just assume he's dead. And so they go back to their hometown and he's got this old, really cool, by the way, like video store just filled with VHS tapes. And I think this is a real active store in Los Angeles where they filmed this, but it's awesome. Uh, they've got uh, the Mount Rush monsters on the front of the store. Uh, this like mural painted uh, on it that uh, when you like yes, I love it. Looks it looks awesome and just totally low rent at the same time. It just transport you immediately back to like the early '80s when you know everyone used to paint on their windows. You remember it like <laughs> yes, the holiday times and stuff like that. Just but and sometimes the artists weren't great. That's the artist that they got for this video store. But anyway, so the brothers go in and they're reminiscing about their lives and there's you know they are not clicking 100 percent and. Um, they get the key to the father's back room, which was the place they were never allowed to go. And so they go back there and they find a VHS tape game. I don't know if you guys ever played these. I had a bunch of these when I was a kid. It's weird because I was just, mm-hmm. uh, I had found an old one of mine called Captain Power from when I was a kid mm-hmm. just the other day that I was showing my son. And we saw the toy and it worked and everything. It was one where you like shot a gun at the TV and somehow with the VHS technology, this worked. And I don't, I still, to this day, I was like, how does this even work? Yes. That's interesting. I I don't, I don't remember having any of those, but that would be with a tape. How would that work? See, I have no idea. I had, um, I had, we had commercial crazies is what it was called. But it was not like what interactive like you're talking about. So that's fascinating. Yeah. Well, I remember I'd even rent Clue. Like there was a Clue videotape version that I used to play as a kid where oh, nice. um, they're, they're somewhat interactive, you know, but they you have to pause the VHS tape occasionally and stuff. So this is one of those. <laughs> it's, a hor- it's a horror game called Beyond the Gates. And immediately when they start playing, they realize there's some connection to their missing father and their father is somehow trapped due to something to do with this game. And it's up to these two brothers and one of the brothers' girlfriends or fiancés to rescue the dad. And that's uh, what they have to do. And they have to take part in this kind of VHS role-playing board game. And um, it's fun. There's crazy gore effects. There are surprising scenes. It feels You can feel the budget. I think the performances don't feel that strong to me. And the camera work at times is nice. Like the colors are really nice and has some cool kind of like 80s aesthetic things going for it. But it also, you can feel the budget in the camera. And um, ultimately it's just really disjointed. Like it almost feels like, and it feels like there are scenes missing, but not like in a good way, not intentionally. Like they just ran out of money while they were, filming and they they're like well let's just leave that scene out or or like or maybe it didn't turn out too great so they just left it out like do you remember mm-hmm. i reviewed that movie lost in the dark i think it was mm-hmm. lost after dark that slasher they do the missing real gag from the grindhouse films but when they do it it just fe- it doesn't make any sense and it just felt like oh that scene didn't work so they just pretended they were doing that missing real gag that's how it feels like the scenes are cut together with huge time jumps and you're like, wait, what? And it doesn't (laughs) feel, but it doesn't feel sophisticated. It just feels wrong. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, it's for me, this is not going to work for most audiences. I would not think. Yeah. So so the vow, maybe one value in that for 
horror filmmakers that are listening to this, maybe this would be a valuable film to rent to kind of explore, you know, narrative and piecing together <laughs> editing. I don't think it's that bad. I think it's just okay. something's missing. I don't know if it's in the writing or if it was literally they lost scenes, but um, <laughs> like it's cut together, you know, it has a good flow within each scene. Okay. Right. Like it's, it's written well enough. Not great. It's acted well enough. Not great. It looks okay. The scenes cut together well, but then scene to scene, they're just, it just huge jumps that don't feel intentional, I guess. And if it was intentional, I apologize to the filmmakers, but it just, I don't know. I guess it's their fault. It seems weird. <laughs> um, the highlight of this film is Barbara Crampton yeah, is, in the video. So she's the lady guiding them through their journey. Nice. And that was my favorite element, I think, of the movie. Yeah, and she for those who don't know, that was Megan from Reanimator, right? <laughs> Back in the day. Yeah. She's been in a ton of horror films. Yeah. But, and and but, yeah, she and and from um from beyond and yeah. We're still exactly. here, you're next. Right. All that right. stuff. But Is um, she in Chopping Mall? Hmm. Or was she not? Yeah, she, she was. Okay. She did have a role in Chopping Mall, yes. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Did you see uh, Beyond the Gates, Allison? No, but actually, I hadn't even heard of it. That sounds like a really interesting premise. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> thought so, too. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. Made, it's made for people like me to a degree that is disgusting and makes me kind of hate myself and hate the movie for it. <laughs> That's mm. funny. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it feels like pandering and it also isn't quite as good as you want it to be. As well. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So what do you rate uh, this? My, my review, I would, I would probably give this a five and I would say it's a low priority rental. Okay. Low priority rental. Well, at this point, let's move into our feature review of the neon demon. What's it feel like? You walk into a room. It's like in the middle of winter. You're the sun. It's everything. You know what my mother used to call me? Dangerous. <laughs> You're a dangerous girl. She was right. I am dangerous. So... I am sorry to say I don't remember the main character's first name in this, but basically it's the story of a young girl who goes out to L.A. to pursue a career in modeling. And she just sort of kind of it's a it's a journey of her being devoured by the L.A. modeling scene. And people are obsessed with her natural beauty and her innocence. Mm -hmm. There's not really much yeah. more to it than that. I don't think. No, really. I mean, it it's directed by Nicholas Winding Refn, who, um, you know, I thought did, has done really amazing work and has done more questionable work. Right. Right. So I think drive, I think is brilliant. And I think only God forgives. I enjoyed more than most, uh, but this is probably closer to that for me. Yeah. Um, and he did Bronson as well, which is, which is pretty good, but this is his most, most horrific film. This is, uh, I think this is borderline horror, and I think it would depend on the viewer um, whether you would categorize this as horror or not. I don't have a problem with it being called horror at all. It reminds me most, if I had to compare it to something, which I don't know why I have the 
urge to do that, but it reminds me kind of like starry eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had to compare it to another film visually, it's much better. I mean, it's, that's, I think the best part about this movie is it's just visually stunning start to finish. And it has a bit of a, even David Lynch quality to it. I would say at times in terms of, I think where it's, tr- what it's trying to do with the storytelling, which is to say, it's kind of a mood piece in a lot of ways. It's, it is disjointed. This unlike beyond the gates feels intentionally disjointed and feels sophisticated in the way that it's disjointed. Um, I'm trying to, there's another movie I was thinking of when I was watching this, but uh, anyway, it's, I, it's, it's good. It's not going to make my list. I don't think, but it's, um, it's strong filmmaking. It didn't speak to me necessarily. I didn't feel like, um, I'm so glad you two saw it because you have kind of a, a sense of what I like. And uh, this has kind of been on my watch list for uh, Movie Podcast Weekly and for this show for the end of the year. Now, is this something that I should even try to squeeze in or do you because because I get the sense that it's going to be a little bit too too art filmish for my <laughs> tastes. Well, I would I would say that. um it really struck me like I was watching a series of music videos for a good chunk of it. Mm. So just so atmospheric, which I didn't mind at all because I am a very visual person. So I like the eye candy, but it really didn't feel like a story so much as just these, these music videos that were flowing into each other. And then there was some horror and some creepy things. And so I don't know. I mean, after listening to the podcast for two years, I think maybe you might be frustrated with this movie. <laughs> okay. I remember you guys talking a long time ago about horror elements and that being an annoying term. And I think, yeah, this movie has a horror element, gotcha. but you know, it's, it's got some, some gore and some really creepy things that I think nudge it over into the horror category for me at least. But yeah, I, you could probably pass on this one. Okay. All right, Josh, what do you say? Just generally. For you? <laughs> well, well, or yeah, for anybody. Sorry, it doesn't have to be about me, but sorry. No, I mean, I, eventually I would really like to just do an episode talking about thrillers versus horror, and maybe no one wants to hear us have that conversation, but I'm interested in it. Um, and I don't know that it matters all that much most of the time. But yeah, this is definitely one of those films that would be up for debate, I think, uh, for most viewers, um, you know, and I, I don't know whether or not you would personally consider this horror. But is it disturbing? Because I can't tell with you once after the last year, after your top 10 list last year, I'm at a loss for what you consider horror and not horror. But is it, but well, is it because I love things that are troubling? Super disturbing. I would say. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Haunting. There's. Is it haunting? It's haunting, yeah. I don't think that there's any... I think where it lacks is plot, pace, and tension. There is a tension... There's the tension of just it being unknown and kind of... Like Allison said, it's very atmospheric, and so it's it's leaving a lot um, unrevealed, but I don't think, like, the tension is coming from the let me how how can i articulate this there's not there's nothing happening plot wise that's creating that tension it's just simply withholding information that's causing the tension okay. and so it's not for me it's a less effective way to build mystery i like the tagline is beauty is vicious yeah it's true well, 
Yeah, man, I there's another movie that this is really reminding me of, and I just can't get it. It's like it's floating around in my brain, and I just can't I can't nail it down. But um, I think if you would like to see like just a really beautiful piece of cinema in terms of the camera work, the colors, the wardrobe, the makeup, um, it's just a, it's a great art film in that way. Like you said, uh, the, the, the gore is there. There are a few scares. It's very creepy. Um, it seems sexy. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, mean, it's definitely, it's, it's, it's almost not sexy because it's so, um, okay. Kind of the world it's in, but kind of disgusting um, then. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. (laughs) But, uh, (laughs) <laughs> I, I liked it. I didn't love it. And so I think for me, this is about a seven and I would say it's a uh, rental. Okay. And what do you say, Allison? Um, I, I was thinking it's probably a 6.5 for me. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I don't really think I'm going to revisit it time and time again. Um, but I did think it was, it was fun to look at. Um, but I just felt like this, it was, yeah, kind of it was it was high on substance and or sorry high on uh, style and low on substance i felt like and mm, i, I kind of yeah. like a little more I, depth we yes. know la is vicious we know the modeling scene eats them <laughs> in. it's not really a surprise he's not making a bold statement or anything but yeah it's beautiful <laughs> to look at I love yeah, that. he's not saying anything about this world that we don't already think. In fact, it's almost caric- a caricature of that world. I mean, it is a caricature of that world. But I think where he goes with the horror elements <laughs> um, make it just are enough to make it interesting enough to watch, basically. I am intrigued, I have to say. So, Allison, when you say 6.5, is that just a, a rental for people then or what? Yeah, I would say a rental. Um, unless, I mean, I don't know, you could put this on in the background if you're having an avant-garde Halloween party, maybe, and then buy it for that, you know, project it on a wall. I like that idea. Um, It is streaming for free if you have an Amazon Prime subscription. So to me, that's enough to make it rent worthy. Otherwise, like if you were paying like a $6.99 digital rental, I would say it's a low priority rental. But since it is streaming for free for some subscribers, um, that, you know, that bumps it up a bit. Gotcha. Okay, so that's the Neon Demon. Thanks for covering that. I've been very curious about it. Dave, you haven't seen that, have you? No, no, I have not. I haven't had a chance to check that one out yet. Okay. All right, then. And uh, Allison and Josh, I understand you guys got to catch up with The Love Witch as well. Yes. Okay. And what what do you think, Allison? Tell us about that one. Oh, well, first of all, I'm going to say this is something that you would probably not and I'm saying you as in most horror audiences would not categorize this as a horror movie. Um, it's got the, the fateful horror elements in it. Um, it's, I loved it. It felt like a movie made for my tastes, even though I don't know the director, Annabella, personally. But um, I thought this movie was really fun um, on the surface and then had a lot of things to say and a lot of darkness on the deeper layers as you get to know the characters. Um, And I think if you're a fan of uh, pulp sort of or grindhouse stories or you like uh, witch movies from like the mid 60s to the early 70s, that kind of occult exploitation genre, um, or even just, you know, something that kind of imitates a little bit of Hitchcock and like colors and shots and things, you're going to enjoy this movie. 
Do you want mm-hmm. a synopsis or does you know, sure. Josh, do you want to do it? Um, <laughs> go for it. Go for it. You're doing great. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this is, uh, this is the story of a young witch named Elaine and she uh, picks up and moves to Eureka, California um, in search of a fresh start. And she practices witchcraft and uh, creates spells designed to attract uh, love mates. And she uses sex magic, but she tells everyone what she's really looking for is true love and kind of in all the wrong places. That's yeah. pretty much it. Dave, you would love this movie, Dave. I have to say, what I, yeah, I tell you, the, the description that Allison was given, that the sort of 70s throwback, sounds really cool. It's not just a throwback. I mean, there are definitely scenes with modern elements to it where you're like, oh, okay, that's a, that's now. This is happening right now. That's a new car. Okay. But if, if it weren't for those things, it would feel like it's just a missing film from the 60s. That's what it felt like to me. Oh, that's it's, awesome. It's so well done in terms of the lighting and the camera and uh, mimicking that era, it's completely passable as a film from that era, in my opinion. Nice. Oh, yeah. She she shot it on 35 millimeter. Um, Anna Biller made all the costumes and the sets, and yeah. I think she did some of the music herself or maybe most of the music, but she basically did most everything herself other than have people come and act in her movie. And uh, I heard in an interview it took her about seven years to get this completed, but it's just gorgeous, and wow. there's so much attention to detail, and it's just visually really fun to look at. And then while you're staring at all the pretty things, you're kind of going, oh, this is saying a lot of you know, kind of dark and depressing things about, uh, you know, gender roles and uh, love versus sex and what people are looking for versus what they think they see. And, and it's yeah. really interesting. This is a fascinating director. I would love to see her due to um, the wide release that this film's getting, or at least the, the buzz that this film's getting. I would love to see her get a big budget to do something next because I think she is someone who could really do something uh, kind of mind blowing given more resources. Because like Allison said, I, I didn't do much research into this film. I, but I just did see one short interview with the director and it was just so impressive. Like Allison was saying, she just hand made like every costume that's in the movie. It's it's just incredible. And they're not like chintzy costumes either, by the way, they are gorgeous costumes. So if you think of like a film, like the lost skeleton of Cadavra. I almost hate mentioning that film in the same breath as this, although I like it. That is one of those throwback movies where you can just sit and laugh um, at how kind of how spot on they get all of the goofiness of the era that it's parodying. This has a bit of that, except for somehow, but it takes it more seriously. And where those costumes all looked really bad and cheap, and the camera work looked really bad and cheap, this camera work looks pristine the costumes look pristine and so it's just a weird experience i can't really compare it to anything else in terms of the horror yeah it's light it's pretty light well imdb has it down as comedy horror is there how much comedy is in it is that or is that not true i didn't find it to be that comedic actually i think the trailer if you know people go and watch the trailer which is kind of long and tells a lot of what happens in the movie just fyi um it makes it look lighter than it actually is. Um, there's definitely some moments of comedy, but it was like a weird mix of a drama thriller with some horror and comedy thrown in. Yeah. I would say that it's, it's just very dry, dark comedy. And so like for me, 
I was laughing at it a lot, but it, it but it is also kind of sad and depressing and and dark when I'm laughing at it. Like the jokes are really dark in the film for me. <laughs> me um, it's not like you're not laughing because there are punchlines. You're laughing because like this is so depressing. I can't believe this is what's happening uh, in this scene. Um, but it's I don't know. It's really cool. It's really weird. It's just so unique. And, and it does feel like Alice was saying a lot of those 60s, 70s witch movies, but it also just has elements that I've never seen in a film before, too. So, I don't know. It's, it's, it's an interesting mix. And I, the, in the interview that I saw with the director, they were asking her, oh, this is clearly based on this 70s film and this 70s film and this 70s film. And she was kind of like, no, nope, nope, haven't even seen that one. And I'm like, wait, what? And she was kind of like, yeah, I think my influences are the same influences that those directors had, and that's why our films look similar. <laughs> Oh, wow. So it's almost like she is working as a filmmaker from that era is what it feels like. It's yeah. really interesting. <laughs> That's um, cool. But for people who are just hardcore cinephiles, I would say as well, you have to, it's the kind of thing like you just have to experience this movie. And I think someone like Dave would really appreciate it. It sounds great. I'm, I'm moving up to the top of my list to see. Definitely. Huh. But certainly not for everyone. I think a lot of people would hate this movie to be honest as well. Okay. What do you rate it? Wolfman, Josh. Um, what do I rate it? That was a good question. Um, I would probably give this one an eight, but I'm going to call it a rental because I, I really don't think, mm, I don't think the majority of the audience of ours that I know would be able to connect with the film. Okay. And, um, what about you, Allison, for the love witch? Well, personally, I would rate it just, you know, based on my own enjoyment of it as a nine. And I, plan on buying it. Um, but I, I would hesitate to recommend that to most horror fans. You know, if if you're looking for something that's a straightforward horror movie, that's going to, you know, creep you out and scare you and hold you on the edge of your seat, then I would say, you know, probably skip this one or check out the trailer, which, you know, watching the trailer, isn't going to ruin the movie for you. If you don't like the tone, then, you know, just move on. But, um, I, I think for people who, especially like a lot of the artists in the listening audience, there's so many talented people yes. in the HMP audience. It's, it's kind of, you know, intimidating and mind blowing, but some of these people might really enjoy just the attention to detail and the visual yeah. style of this film. I agree with that. All right. So that's a review of the love witch. And uh, now what about, okay. So I've been dreading even hearing about this one after seeing the trailer, Josh and Allison, you guys subjected yourselves to yoga hosers. How was that? (laughs) Oh man, that is a wacky movie. This is the, on the far other end of the spectrum of what like a horror comedy could be considered. I think uh, from the love, Witch. it's, um, Man, I don't know. So uh, since I've seen the film, I've heard Kevin Smith describe it as a kid's movie. And that really flipped my perspective. On it. <laughs> I think when I was thinking about this as a continuation of his oeuvre, when I was thinking about like coming from Tusk to Yoga Hosers, it's a huge disappointment in terms of um, that trajectory. <clears throat> But if I think about it as a kid's movie, as he's kind of framed it, and the film does star, I should say, Kevin Smith's daughter, Harley Quinn Smith, and Johnny Depp's daughter, Lily Rose Depp, who are best friends all through junior high, high school, or whatever. And I 
apparently they were hanging out at Kevin Smith's house a lot and wanted to be in a movie. And he uh, put them in Tusk in a brief scene. If you remember the A to Z scene in Tusk at the convenience store, Um, he took those clerks characters and gave them their own film. The girls are good in it. Uh, Nepotism or not, they're both (laughs) decent actors for their age too. I mean, they must be like, 17, 18, I'm not sure, but they're, they're strong performers. And I think particularly, um, well, actually, I, I actually, there's something about Harley Quinn Smith that I really like. I think she's got a strength that is interesting as a female actress that you actually don't see that often, mm-hmm. but I think it's Lily Rose Depp who probably will be the breakout. She just has kind of that X factor. I hate that word, but, um, that her mom has. <laughs> so, um, that who's Kate Moss, which is like, you're just kind of like, there's something about her that's really weird and interesting. And I want to keep looking at what she's doing. So Um, sorry to interrupt. This is weird though. I'm having kind of a little breakdown here. How, so she looks exactly Depp's daughter looks so much like Anna Sophia Robb. It's freaking me out. They're like twins or something. Um, Yeah. I I can see why you think that. I don't think that when you see her more, I don't think. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, she does a bit. Um, so the movie is about the, those same two girls working at the A to Z convenience store. I believe they're in high school. Uh, they want to go to a party to hang out with some guys. Oh yeah. They're sophomores. I think that's what it is. They're like, but it's the Canadian school system. So I apologize. I don't know what that's called. They're in grade 12 or grade 10. Um, and they want to go to like a grade 12 party or something like that. And, uh, these two guys have invited them, but their wicked stepmother is making them work at the convenience store rather than go to this party. Um, and somehow Satanism gets involved and evil brought worst Nazis and uh, secret passageways to underworlds. And it's not as interesting as that sounds even. So like, it's just a really weird movie. And and going back to that kids movie idea, I think if you compare this to what I realized to me, the, uh, the parallel here is uh, teenage mutant Ninja turtles to the secret of the ooze. <laughs> if I think about it in that kind of framework, if I think about it as kind of like a spy kids movie, then all of a sudden it's a fine movie and I get what they're going for. If I'm thinking of it as an adult horror comedy, it's like a major bummer to watch. Okay. Um, but that's kind of, my, that was like my basic takeaway. How do you feel about it, Allison? Um, <laughs> well, uh, it, it wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. Um, it was, <laughs> it was kind of funny in parts. I agree that the girls were really good. They were the only thing I liked about the movie. Um, there were these long scenes with Johnny Depp just explaining the history of what was going on that were really boring. And his acting was just painful to watch. And I could see, yeah. you know, if this was a kid's movie and you looked at it in that light, you could forgive those things. Although that'd probably be the scene where like you go to get another bowl of cereal or something, you know, because he's just, <laughs> just no, one, no one wants to sit through that. And I'm, I'm rarely bored during a movie and I just... I was just kind of like, oh, if I wore a watch, I'd be looking at it right now. And so, Allison, <laughs> did, you, did you see Tusk? I didn't. And okay. I it was I, I'd heard it described and I'm, I'm actually 
fairly selective about what newer horror I'll watch. I'm really gung-ho about all the older stuff. And so yeah. I'm kind of a weirdo that way. And I definitely um, am trying to see more new releases every year and, and be a little bit uh, less timid about that. But I, I just usually don't get around to seeing that many things. And I kind of, I heard about it and I was like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I like some Kevin Smith films, but I wasn't sure I wanted to see someone, you know, go walrus. Yeah. Um, it sounded too uh-huh. human centipede to me, which is something <laughs> yeah. else. And I was just like, no, not for me. And I'm totally, you know, if that's your thing, that's, that's cool. I just don't really have the stomach for that. I don't want to think about that late at night. I'm actually know? part of a human centipede right now. It's, so so this johnny depp character he like the girls he's also in tusk and he is the worst part about tusk and he completely ruins tusk in my opinion which because i think that film although i'm also not a human centipede uh movie type of like i don't like those movies i wouldn't watch typically watch a movie like those movies it's not my thing i liked tusk other than that but coming to this film, being accustomed to Johnny Depp now due to having seen Tusk probably two or three times, I actually really liked that scene. <laughs> and, and because I know he's going to be in Moose Jaws as well, which is Kevin Smith's next film. Um, I'm kind of curious about what is this guy? Who, who is he? What's he doing? And that honestly, that was one of my favorite scenes in the film was the Johnny Depp scene. It is bad and weird, but it's like such a train wreck Mm. Um, I think I had my train wreck experience that Allison is describing when I watched Tusk basically is what I'm saying. Mm. And now because I, I'm accustomed to it, I was not as off put by it watching this film. <laughs> so you're like, it's like <laughs> when you jump in the freezing cold water and it hurts and it's painful, but then eventually your body just goes numb. <laughs> what you're like describing. Like Haley Osmond's cameo was far worse in this movie. And so was Justin Long. <laughs> Justin Long is unbearable oh, in this movie. <laughs> Just unbearable in this movie. But um, Tyler Posey, who is Scott in the TV version of Teen Wolf, which I've never, I think I've seen one or two episodes of that on the MTV's Teen Wolf. Um, And Austin Butler, who is on the Sword of Shannara TV show on MTV. They're kind of interesting young actors. They put a lot into what were not great roles. And Adam Brody is in it in kind of a weird role. And I like him, even though... I don't know. His part didn't really amount to much. Same with Harley Mortenstein, who uh, he's someone who was in Tusk and is going to be the main character in Moose Jaws. And I'm interested in him um, as an actor, but just, there's just just not much here It all kind of, it's just pretty bland. Nothing much happens. What happens isn't that interesting. I think if you are either a little kid, in which case it might be too weird and disturbing or you're stoned, then you may <laughs> probably <laughs> probably that one stoned. But um, so you mentioned something really interesting. Does this follow Tusk? Because you said Justin Long is in it. So like, so or, he has or, all the same actors in this movie, but they either play they either played the same character like the girls and mm-hmm. like Johnny Depp, or they played completely different characters like Haley Joel Osment and Vanessa Paradise and um, Justin Long. They all they were all playing oh. different. 
Uh, okay, I'm Genesis like, Rodriguez. Like she was his, playing a different character. Oh, his, I was like, oh, his his walrus makes a cameo in this. That's interesting, but I okay. No, I'm really excited for Moose Jaws. Actually, I'm hopeful, but very cautiously optimistic about that. This would make me less excited about Moose Jaws, I think, had he not said it was a kids' movie. Number one, number two, because I heard Jay and Silent Bob are going to be a Moose Jaws, and that just totally bummed me out when I heard that because I, I like those movies. <laughs> But I, when I saw Red State, I was like, Kevin Smith could be a good director. Like, yes. I like Chasing Amy is one of my favorite movies from, you know, being in high school. And me and all my friends watched Mallrats all the time. And Clerks was like a classic. But, um, you know, when they got into like Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back and all that stuff, I just either I was growing away from that material or whatever. I wasn't connecting to him anymore by that era. And so to bring them back in this new era of this filmmaker where with red state, he did something incredible with Tusky almost did something incredible. I just feel like we're on the downward slope again, which is kind of sad. Kevin Smith is like those grandmas that make jello and then they put like uh, fruit cocktail in it. It's like, no jello is good on its own. Don't put fruit cocktail in it. That's exactly what Kevin Smith does. Okay. Is it too much of a spoiler to talk a little bit about the the monster or the opposing force in this movie? Because I had a comment mean, about that. Did you mean the overall threat or the the very end? Oh no, I meant the overall threat. The yeah, yeah. Like, uh, the the bratsies they were calling them. Um, they're little Nazi sausages. Um, oh boy. We're we're watching, and they're played by Kevin Smith. Um, we're watching the movie, and I I looked at Drew, and I was like. I feel like I've seen this before and it, I realized that they reminded me of this really horrible movie called Nothing But Trouble that had Chevy Chase and oh Dan Aykroyd in gosh. it yes. and those the the um, really gross like baby man twins that are in that movie yes. look just like the Bratzies <laughs> and I was just creeped out even more like ah like that's a movie that's that's worse than this one, but it was just so gross. <laughs> like I'm thinking about nothing but trouble while I was watching this. Like, oh. wow! And that that actually, sorry, I'm way off here, but just to that reminded me of something I wanted to say about Beyond the Gates really quick, <laughs> which is it felt like an episode of Goosebumps at okay. its best. That that sorry to be so late on that comment, but think back to my Beyond the Gates review and think. It's a Goosebumps episode. Well, that no, okay. that tells us it really does. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's so, so funny. Nothing but trouble is such a terrible movie. <laughs> have you seen that, Jay? I don't believe I have. You actually, but you're such <laughs> a big Texas Chainsaw Massacre fan. I think if you just thought of it as a comedy, you might get a lot out of it. But really, nothing but trouble. Okay. I bet Doctor Shock <laughs> owns bad. it. I bet he owns yeah. it. I probably do. <laughs> I'd, have to, I'd have to check uh, check it out, but I probably do. He has no idea. That's so funny. Okay, so um, Allison, what do you rate Yoga Hosers then? Um, I'm gonna give this a three. Uh, I, I think if you if you are trying to see the whole trilogy of the what was it called the North True North series? I can't remember what yeah, the trilogy is supposed mm -hmm. to be called. Um, if you're gonna see all of those, then then yeah, you probably want to see this and be a completist, but be prepared for the fact that it really plays like it's an inside joke or a fun movie that Kevin Smith and his family and Johnny Depp's family got together and said, hey, let's do this fun project with our daughters. And it really seems like it's for them and not really for anybody else. And that's <laughs> okay. Like, that's great, you know, but like, 
I'm kind of ready for Johnny Depp to retire from acting personally. Thank That's you. Me too. It's sound harsh, but Come on, you guys. No, me I, too. I loved him when I was younger. I, I think he's been in a lot of great movies, but um, it's just, it's like how many times we're going to watch him badly act a weird, slightly offensive caricature. You know, it's kind of, I was thinking, wow, this is kind of like Barnabas Collins turned into yeah. like a fur trader in the North or something like that's <laughs> going on here. It was, it was just so weird. And you know, he's capable of more and it's frustrating, but the girls, the girls really stand out and I'd like to see them in more things and I'd like to see them in, in better things, you know? So yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Allison, what you said was amazing. That is exactly how I feel. You exactly captured it. So thank you for saying that. So it sounds like this is in a void for you though. Three out of 10. Yeah. Avoid. Okay. All right. What do you say, Wolfman, Josh? Um, I would say the first of all, Johnny Depp should not quit acting <laughs> until he at least does the invisible man. Cause I want to see his take on the invisible man. Please give us that. Um, yeah, this is probably an avoid and I'm okay with a three. I was going to go lower, but I think I liked it more than Allison. So I can't give it a, a lower rating. <laughs> Wait, did Tim Burton be directing The Invisible Man? Because if that's happening, please no. Okay. And and, and please no Helena Bonham Carter in it either. (laughs) Please. Break up the band, guys. (laughs) Yeah, right. Thank you. Yes. Ed Wood is a classic. Okay. Ed Wood is the Ed Wood is the best. Yes. They've had a they have had a few um, misfires along the way as well. Indeed. And I would just say, as someone who liked Tusk and is not really looking forward to Moose Jaws. I don't know if you have to see this for the trilogy, to be honest. So You don't. I, bet. I don't think so. <laughs> I bet you. I don't think so. When I saw the trailer, I'm like, nope, I don't have to see that. <laughs> right? Anyways, thank you, Allison. It was an absolute pleasure to have you here tonight. Yes, definitely. You, you brought it, didn't she, guys? She's like a natural. This was her actual, this was her first podcasting appearance ever, well, she did, a, she did a much better job in her first than I did in mine. I can tell you. That. <laughs> She's yeah, a natural. Or even my last. Yeah, even my most recent. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> right. But uh, thanks for being here, Allison. So if the listeners want to catch up with you online or follow you on uh, Twitter or wherever, where where would you tell them to go? Well, I just recently joined Twitter, and that's probably where I'd be discussing movie-oriented things the most. Um, so you can find me there as Allison Clark, and that's an Allison with two L's and a Y. And uh, uh, that's at Little Wing Fay, which is F-A-E. It's l- loosely tied to my business, but I'm not going to be doing many business things on there. Um, I'm also on Facebook, so you can look me up. Allison Clark on Facebook. Um, there's several with the same spelling. So uh, I guess look for a pale brunette and uh, with a banner <laughs> picture of a turtle with pterodactyl wings and you'll find nice. it. Um, yeah. I also, I have an art business as was mentioned earlier. If anyone's interested in um, fantasy art or um, sculptures that are botanical themed, I'm most known for my uh, silk sculptures that I usually incorporate some kind of lights into. I do a lot of flowers and different kinds of plants. And then I do um, adult costume fairy wings that I do with hand-painted silk. And you can check out my work at littlewingfairyart.com. And it's Little Wing, like the Jimi Hendrix song, and fairy is spelled F-A-E-R-I-E. Wonderful. Thanks for having me, guys. This was really fun and also a huge surprise. I was 
came out of the blue, but I'm happy to be here. And- no, hey, yeah, thank you for coming on. You did, you did a great job. I'm so happy that you were able to cover the Love Witch too, because uh, you were, we were the perfect person to review that. So, mm-hmm. no, thanks. I do love witch movies and just witchy things in general. So it was it was easy. <laughs> oh well then. Well, okay. thanks for being here, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks, Allison. Take care. Bye bye. Okay, that was wonderful to have Allison on the show. Allison with a Y, everybody. Uh, tell her she did a good job in the comments. I think she was fantastic. Okay, Dave. Um, been dying to hear what you thought of the shallows all right the shallows well it's the type of movie i, I love you know right up front because it, it takes place at the beach um it's got self uh surf culture in there and i really do um i love surf culture i've never stepped on a surfboard in my life but i do <laughs> like a lot of the um the surf documentaries and whatnot uh and i like shark movies you know that there, uh, I have a lot of fun with them. So right away, this is a movie that um, I was interested in, and for the most part, it it, uh, it I enjoyed it. You know, it didn't disappoint me. It's about uh, you know Nancy Adams, and she's uh, heads out to the beach where her mother had been twenty five years earlier. Her mother just recently died, and to sort of honor her, she's going to the beach uh, that her mother had visited while pregnant with her. And she's going to do a little surfing there, runs into a few people, um, a few other surfers in the water. Uh, but while she's out there, she comes across this um, beat up whale, this this um, this injured whale. And uh, by doing so, she ends up in the feeding territory of a very nasty great white. Uh, and um, the rest of the movie is just her sort of stranded on this rock with this great white circling her. And it's not going anywhere because it knows she's there. Um, but I, I really, I liked Blake Lively in this. Um, I thought for what amounts to a one woman show, I thought she did a very good job. Mm-hmm. The, the movie starts off like a documentary and like almost like a, like a surfing documentary with the slow motion, the sort of techno uh, music playing there, underwater, uh, photography and everything. So it, it has a feel of a surfing documentary at first. But then it's, that changes once she gets out to the whale, and then it becomes a very you know intense sort of uh, film. Um, I think one thing, and I know I knew going in that it was PG thirteen, so I knew that there was not going to be a lot of the blood and gore that you get in other shark movies. Uh, but even still, there's one scene on a beach where this this uh, this sort of drunk guy. Um, something happens at the end and I felt a little cheated by that because it's almost as if they were going to show something and, and the MPAA was kind of like, no, no, you're not going to show that. Um, and in the end, I felt like we saw more of the lead character's name was Nancy, saw more of her blood than we did anybody else's. And there are several you know, victims in the movie. Uh, but other than that, I did like it. Um, I would probably give this a 7.5 and I'd say... It's a high priority rental. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I loved it. Did you? And you saw the shallows, right, Wolfman Josh? No, no, not yet. Okay, I, I was going to try to make it when I heard Dave was reviewing it, but it was just one I didn't get a chance to see because I thought, uh, based on what I have heard of it, I don't think will make my top ten list, and so I want to try to see films that I think might make my list. But I have to say. Dave kind of just sold me on it when he was talking about it, starting as the surf documentary and everything. I thought, man, that sounds right up my alley. 
it it is yeah. truly a beautiful film. I just can't believe how it is it good looking is. this film is, and I'm not being funny either. Like it, it's amazing, and I tell you, this was came out in the summertime, right? And reviewed it with Kagan, and it up to that point, and even like in September, October, I was like, you know what? This entire year, The Shallows has been one of my favorite, most enjoyable films I saw all year in the theater, and then. I was on a flight, well, on the flight to the the meetup that we did, and some woman was watching it on her computer, and I could see it the whole time because I was kind of behind her, and, um, you know, so I, I didn't I didn't mean, I hate being that guy where you're, like, watching somebody else's screen like a weirdo. I didn't mean to, but I just could not avoid looking at it because it was, like, right up in front of me. Anyway, I, I ended up watching it twice, kind of. And it was uh, much less enjoyable for me in that way. And I don't know that that's fair. But anyway, I gave it a six at the time. I said, see it in the theater and rent it. But I love that Kagan gave it an eight, but then he revised that down to a seven. And he enjoyed it too. So it sounds like we all enjoyed it, Josh. So I think you might appreciate it. It's just tough. Kagan said this in our review of it, that it's tough when every shark movie is going to be compared to Jaws. And they just can't. Yeah can't really do it. Oh, well, sure. I mean, you can't. And it does. I mean, it's, it is a very different kind of movie than than Jaws, obviously, which most of them do do change it up. But yeah, it's always going to kind of go back to Jaws. It's just the way it is. And, and for the record, if if maybe you're a um, more of a, I guess, a mild horror fan or you're married to someone who's not really too much into horror like I am, uh, my wife actually watched The Shallows and she enjoyed she it. it. Yeah, she enjoyed it quite a bit. Nice. She, re- she really did like it. So nice. It's How does one- your wife feel about string bikinis? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, she knew that that was, um, you know, I, I don't know. Parcel. Yeah, yeah, she knew that was coming. So, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> there you go. That's the shallows. It sounds like we all liked it, and I'd like to hear what Josh thinks of it one of these days. All right, Josh, you know what? I have been waiting to hear about this film. It's actually been on my list for a long time, so I'm dying to hear what you have to say about 13 Cameras. 13 Cameras is a terrible name for this movie. Um, does not describe what is interesting about this film in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> a previous title for this film was Slumlord, which also is an awful name for the movie and does not describe anything about it. So, so we're having trouble with the naming of the film. It, but real quick, if you don't mind, yeah. it looks like, just looking at the poster art, yeah. it looks like it should be called Michael Keaton going crazy, losing his mind, even though that's not Michael Keaton. But it looks like, yeah. <laughs> it looks like Wait that. till you see this guy. So this actor, <laughs> this actor played by Neville Archambault, um, I'm sure is a lovely man. He is a beast of a human being, and especially the way he portrays this character of the landlord Gerald. He <laughs> is one of the scariest characters I've ever seen in a movie that's not like a supernatural almost just like a film that's supposed to be just regular real people. There's no Michael Myers, there's no, you know, <laughs> demons of any kind. Just a guy. One of the scariest dudes ever in a movie. I mean, creepy is all get out the way he uh, portrays this character. I'm sure, again, the real guy probably 
nice, but you you can't imagine that he's nice when you're looking at him in the movie. You're like, no, he must be like this in real life. They found this guy on the street. Um, <laughs> so weird. He's, you know, he looks like he is 70 years old and he looks like he, his body has the muscle mass of like Arnold Schwarzenegger in 1985. But, you know, the aging has happened too. And he has like this drooling bulldog demeanor. He looks like he's completely out of his mind, just dead in the eyes. And it's the weirdest combo of elements I've ever seen in just an, in an individual. Like you're just watching him on screen. You're just like, what is this guy? Uh, the movie is about a young couple who have moved to a new town for a new job. And the husband arrived in town ahead of his wife. Um, and during that time began an extramarital affair. And then his wife arrived and they are having some marital issues and what a sleazeball they're newlyweds and he's already hooking it up outside of the yeah i mean i don't know how long they've been married actually but she becomes pregnant um i don't think they are newlywed maybe they are i I was looking at the imdb description but as i think about it i thought they'd been married a lot longer than that actually i don't know i i don't remember the the length of their marriage what all what what i do know is (laughs) she's pregnant they're having marital troubles he's having an affair and it also so happens that their landlord has hidden cameras set up all over their house and is watching their every move. And he becomes involved in their lives in ways that are don't seem logical, aren't completely explained. His motivations are not totally clear, but they're creepy. And um, it kind of reminds me of Sliver in a way. Like this kind of feels like an updated... <laughs> GoPro lipstick cam version of like a nineties thriller. Like this seems like a Pacific Heights um, sliver kind of era film, but with the grittiness of a found footage, modern horror film. Interesting. Okay. And so it doesn't have the sheen of those films. It feels much more of today in its presentation and it feels like an indie film a lot in the scenes that aren't taking place within the cameras. Um, it's okay. It's not great. It's streaming for free on Netflix for subscribers and for a three ninety nine digital rental. So I think it is worth that price. Um, but other than if it, if it weren't on Netflix, like I said about the other film, uh, I don't know if this would be a rental. It might be a low priority rental otherwise, but I'm going to go ahead and say rental on this. I'm going to say it is a six. And I think if you are a fan of the premise, it's an interesting watch and it's worth checking out. And is it going to be like in the six range for me? Or do you think I'll dig it more than that? Just curious. Um, I think you could, I don't think you'll go lower than a six, but I, and I think you could potentially go higher, but I don't think you will. Okay. So about a six, I think it's about a six. I gotcha. Yeah. But I could see this one straight. This is the kind of film that sometimes strikes you in a way that I don't anticipate. So I get you. Okay, cool. All right. So, uh, so we will be talking about two other films that this reminds me a lot of back to back. And I will say of the three, I would think this is the worst of the three. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah, and then the next one of those would be Don't Breathe, which I understand uh, Dr. Shock got to catch up with that one. 
Yes, I did. Uh, I got to see Don't Breathe. This is one um, that I will be discussing when we get to our top movies of the year. Uh, A little bit more in depth. Let me just say this one, uh, it absolutely blew me away. Uh, I really, really, really liked this movie um, for a number of reasons. One, the, the tension is just amazing. Um, you know, if anyone's not familiar, these these three uh, youngsters that they they go around. They um, the one's father works for a security company. They go around robbing um, the the uh, houses that um, this guy's father's company is protecting. And one of them happens to be in a very remote area of Detroit. I mean, this guy's the only one living left in this neighborhood. It's you know most everyone else has moved out, and he's blind. But this is not an ordinary blind man. He was He's a former Marine. He knows how to take care of himself. And um, he's not somebody you want to tangle with, which they find out far too late. Uh, this was done by the, the director who did e- the Evil Dead film, you know, which, which you think, okay, it's sort of uh, – I didn't know how much of that was him, how much of that was like sort of Sam Raimi and that group. But uh, – with this movie, this guy really showed me a lot. I, I liked one of the things I liked about it, and I'll just you know, when you get the jump scares, a lot of these movies you get jump scares, um, and they'll they'll telegraph them. You'll get like a like the uh, loud music all of a sudden, or a a real quick cut. This movie makes you jump simply by panning a little bit to the right, <laughs> and I love the way that he that he did that. I mean, you're just sort of you're like oh. You know, you, you, you notice something. <laughs> and I thought that was brilliant that, that he was able to, to do that. And this movie just gets more tense and more tense. And th- there are times when you're like almost screaming at the characters that you do this, do that, try something. You, you got to get out of this situation. Um, because even though they are criminals, you do you do t- tend to like the characters, especially the lead actress, and I, I, her name's escaping me now. I don't have it in front of me. Jane but Levy. Jane Levy, and I thought she did a, a wonderful job, and you really do like them because you learn a little bit about her home life and and what she's going through. Um, but this is just a tremendous movie, uh, horror film, and um, yeah, I will be discussing it more. Uh, in uh, in the weeks to come, I would give this. I might even try to watch it again before that, but I would give this a nine. <laughs> and I say this is a this is a definite purchase. Yes, love it. Yeah, when we reviewed it, I gave it a nine. It said buy it. Wolfman Josh is eight point five. Said buy it. Our friend Cora in Salt Lake City said nine. Buy it. Our friend Nate in Salt Lake City said nine. Buy it. And Kagan gave it a 10 and said, buy it. Everybody loves this movie. So Yeah, I'm right there with him. I mean, this is, it really is, in a, it's, it's excellent. Any comments on uh, Don't Breathe, Josh? Anything else you wanted to say about it? Um, I, I have some comments that relate to my next review, I guess. Okay. I, I, do, I did like it a lot. I am now going to point out some problems I had with it as I move into my next review. Yeah, okay. Well, tell us about The Good Neighbor then. Okay, so The Good Neighbor is an interesting film. I like the director. I want to get him on the show sometime to talk about th- what he did here. And I guess maybe this is kind of that same topic I was just talking about. The idea between 
a thriller and horror film and what makes it so and why a filmmaker chooses to take a turn. Um, you know, we talked about in our, one of our Christmas promotions that are going around the movie podcast network. I recommended the hateful eight and that film operates in a lot of ways like a horror movie, but it chooses to not allow itself to be defined as one thing. And I feel like the good neighbor does something very similar too, because I think it very easily in the beginning could just be a straight up horror film. Some people as it progresses would be more comfortable calling it a thriller. It chooses to go in a direction that I just would not have anticipated at all. And it chooses to try to connect with you on an emotional level in a way that I wouldn't have anticipated at all. And I just find that fascinating. Um, I think for that reason, it will disappoint some horror fans, but I think it's a good movie. And I don't, I don't know if you, if you care to say, well, that's on horror movie, it might bug you. But if you just say, Hey, I just watched a really good movie. It's, it works um, for what it's trying to do. And so uh, the good neighbor is about the premise is what caught me. When I read the premise, I was like, what? I have to see that immediately. These two teenage kids, uh, uh, one of whom is a genius and is going to MIT and the other who is kind of a screw up filmmaker, film obsessed kid decide they're going to do a project. It seemed like it was like a high school capstone project kind of a thing where they are going to convince their neighbor across the street played by James Caan that his house is haunted and they are going to set up cameras and document the entire thing. And they come up with a lot of tricks to convince him that he is experiencing the paranormal and they're going to monitor the entire thing from the one kid's bedroom across the street. Basically Uh, the movie goes in dark places and sometimes terribly dark places (laughs) at first. Um, When they film him, Josh, does he say, if you touch my sister again, I'll kill you. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I don't do impressions, but uh, bada boom, bada bing. And now we know why. Right, um, right. <laughs> <laughs> my sister again, I'll kill you. Now, there's very little sunny in this film, but man, James Caan can be very creepy. And I talked about the guy in 13 cameras. Um, James Caan is like a has a similar thing where he's this old dude who's just ripped and he's just kind of freaky, you know, and mm-hmm. um, this uh, movie, you know, we talked about with Don't Breathe when I reviewed it. I had talked about some of the problems I had in the second half of the film where I just didn't really love where it went in the basement. I didn't feel like the the air duct sequence. I felt like feel like that's a thing that's overdone and it just kind of took me out of the tension of the film. Whereas I was the most tense I'd ever been in a movie ever in some of the opening sequences of the film. This movie had that same impact on me where I think this excelled beyond don't breathe in terms of the dread I was experiencing when I was watching wow. the beginning of this movie. And I don't know if it was because I was alone <laughs> in the house and it was like three in the morning when I was watching it and I was, and I was like kind of like loopy or whatever, but I was freaked out of my mind and I was communicating with a couple of our listeners on Twitter. It was, I think it was Juan Salandino, probably not surprisingly. And I, I, if I was to go back and read my transcriptions of my tweets, I was losing my mind. Like I was just like, ah, 
what's happening? Ah, like I was kind of like live tweeting my experience and I was so freaked out. And then the movie from, from my point of view, lets you off the hook, which I was so bummed out about Now Juan was saying he actually liked it because he thought it was more interesting. I will agree where the film goes is more interesting than what I thought I was getting, but it just it sucks because it undercut this horror that I was experiencing where I was just so scared of what was going to happen. And I feel like where the film goes to make it more nuanced and layered undercuts that tension by a lot. It, and so that's, that is a frustration of mine as a viewer. But if I kind of get out of this headspace of I'm watching movies for my horror top 10 list right now, and just get into the headspace of, hey, I just want to sit down and have a good cinematic experience. I really enjoyed The Good Neighbor. And I think it, because this is streaming on Netflix for a subscription and for a cheap rental. Oh, man. Everywhere else. This is an easy recommend for me as a high priority rental. And I would give The Good Neighbor an 8 out of 10. Oh, I am so sold right now. Dr. Shock, did that did, did that review make you want to watch that right this minute? Uh, yeah, Absolutely. I definitely want to see this now. You know, the hardcore horror fans are probably going to be disappointed by the way this movie decides to wrap itself up. But I got to say it's worth it. Like you were talking about Jay with the boy, there's joy in the journey. I had so much joy in this journey. Yes. Um, I was climbing off the walls for a little while there. So it sounds like it kind of comes in as a horror film goes out as a thriller in like a lion, out like a lamb. I, I don't, almost don't even want to say anything because I want. I, I've already feel like I've said more than I want to say because I want. I don't want it to be undercut for you the way it was for me. I want you to be able to feel that terror because if I feel like I feel like if you go in saying, "Well, well, this isn't going to be that bad," um, <laughs> you might not experience the terror because you're expecting that it's going to drop. I did not know where it was going to go, so I was just like. You know, I just had that unrelenting feel of like a runaway train where I was just like, I'm really scared right now. I don't know where this is going to go right now. Um, and it, yeah, there's some exciting possibilities. And so I, I saw a lot of parallels between this film and Don't Breathe and 13 Cameras. Uh, and I think when this film is working, it's working as good or better than the other two for me. Um, and then, you know, I think not every horror fan will be as excited about this in the end as they probably they would be with don't breathe so i got you okay so josh says the good neighbor is an eight out of ten he calls it a high priority rental it's streaming on netflix right now so go watch it it's four bucks on amazon I will say, the other actors kill gilchrist which was also a great surprise for me because he's the kid in it follows and so he's another reason uh, beyond James Conn and Logan Miller is the other young actor. But here, um, I was such a big fan of It Follows that I was immediately sucked in because of him as well. I got you. Okay. Well, that's going on my list to watch. I'm really excited. You know, I had I had seen that earlier in the year. I saw it like online and stuff and it was available to watch. And I'm like, oh, there's James. I love him. Uh, maybe yeah. I should try to work this in. And I never did. So thanks, Josh, for telling us. He's good in this. He's really good. He's still got it. <laughs> yes, he does. All right. He does very, sorry, just one last thing. He does very little in this movie in terms of like, he doesn't have big dialogue scenes. He just acts on screen and he's just perfect. I love it. Okay. Well, I like this little trifecta here of 13 cameras. Don't breathe and the good neighbor. It sounds like somebody could have a, tri a triple feature of creepy old men. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Well, Dr. Shock, I understand that you have to get up in like a couple of hours. So. Yeah, about, about uh, three hours. <laughs> I got to get up. <laughs> well, it was super nice of you to join us. Absolutely. Tonight. It was great. And I'm looking forward to hearing the rest of them. I mean, you have just as many movies, if not more, to go. Yeah. That have already been discussed. I know. We're literally only like I about mean, halfway through now. Like, <laughs> I seriously, and I made I made the joke earlier, uh, but I said it would have been easier, J.D., to send us a list of movies we're not talking about. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because uh, it would have been much smaller. Good luck to everyone uh, for the rest of the show. I'm looking forward to hear it. And I guess for plugs, just you know, check me out at dvdinfatuation.com. It has been very sporadic um, the last couple of months, and it's been work-related. I have missed some posts uh, that will change January 1, and then I'm just going to plow through to get to 2,500 posts one a day until I get to 2,500. Right now, I'm 229 away um, from hitting 2,500, so I will hit it sometime in the summer of uh, of 2017 it was originally going to be june but now it's going to probably be close to the beginning of august or something like that i'll have to reevaluate once um once i hit december 31st um and uh Good check accomplishment. yes oh thank you it's incredible yeah yeah and i'm uh can't uh seven years <laughs> can't wait yeah seven years and i can't wait to uh as a matter of fact it would be very ironic because I started in August of 2010. I wonder, it was like August 7th of 2010 was when the first one had had posted. And I wonder if it's going to be August 7th of 2017. It might be right around that time with the days that I've missed in, in November and December. It, and, cool. and of course, like September with, with uh, what was going on and in June with my health and all that. It might be right around August. It might take it right to this, this seven-year mark. Um, but, um, yeah. And, and obviously on Twitter at DVD infatuation, I'm on Facebook, uh, land of the creeps, check us out there. We have a Christmas episode coming up as well. And I was a guest recently on, um, the, uh, resurrection of zombie with, uh, Ron Martin and, uh, the, uh, little miss horror nerd. That's how I know her on Twitter. Anyway. Yes. Uh, we were discussing, they introduced me to a very interesting, series and i ended up seeing the middle chapter uh of this or the second movie i can't wait to see the first one and it's one i think we could maybe do on um uh horror movie podcast somewhere down the road it is a uh full moon uh series called subspecies oh okay which i had not seen before and it is it is vampires but it is um at least the second one anyway was a very interesting uh main vampire um Anyway, I'll, there'll be more on that later. Uh, but yeah, t- and that one's going to be posting. I don't. I'm not even sure if they posted the first one yet, and I'm not sure who the guest was on that episode. But I'm going to be on for subspecies two, uh, and I had a great time recording. Whether it's a lot of fun uh, being on that uh, that podcast. They're hilarious. Yeah, yes. yeah, it's it's great. So um, thank you very much, guys, and I will uh, talk with you. Um, I guess on the Christmas episode. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you next week then. And uh, thanks for being here. Absolutely. Take care, guys. Take care. And for listeners who are uh, curious, I mean, if you are kind of new to horror movie podcast, what we were talking about, look at the seven year thing. Uh, Dr. Shock reviews a movie every single day, just about (laughs) for the past seven years. And I did a really neat interview with him 
on our sister podcast, Movie Podcast Weekly, where we basically talked about his obsession to do this and some of the details of it. It's actually pretty fascinating. And and we even discussed, um, you know, the um, illness of cinephilia, which we all seem to have. So I'll link that in the show notes as well in case you want to hear that interview with Dr. Shock. It's pretty cool. And then there were two. So, Josh, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm having a blast on this. I feel like when we do these Frankensteinian episodes, when we review a bunch of horror movies right in a row, it feels like this is what I was born to do. I'm so glad, Jay. I feel like I was born to do the themed episodes. <laughs> Perfect. But, I have, but I've never had as much fun doing one as I am right now. Oh, that's be good. Because I'm so excited about all the movies we're talking about. These are really <laughs> good horror movies. I know. I know. I mean, we're bringing some good stuff to the table. And um, and what's really genuinely fun to me is I am sitting here with my uh, notepad. And as we go down through and I hear some of these reviews, I'm writing down titles. I'm adding them to my watch list of things I'm getting to. And I hope the listeners are doing the same on this as well. But I'm also admiring... If people look at the episode artwork to episode 106 of Horror Movie Podcast, that very fine artwork was done by uh, Joshua Legary here, the Wolfman himself, and uh, you do such a great job on that, and this is one of my favorites. Yeah, I mean, I was going for kind of a letterboxed vibe, but the thing is, is just just having that mass of that many good movies together is kind of exciting. <laughs> yes. I remember the first time when a movie that I directed like was available on iTunes or something mm-hmm. and just seeing our poster amongst all the other posters of movies that were like, you know, out, I was like, this is so cool. Yes. And weirdly, that's how I feel about this episode. I just, I'm so excited about a couple of these films are my favorite films of the year. So I'm just so excited to be talking about them. I totally agree. Yes, this is a blast. And so right now we're going to keep on moving. And like we said, um, we're only about probably halfway through this craziness, but we first we have a quick holiday greeting from the GeekCast Live podcast of our movie podcast network here. And Josh, even though I'm a Mormon and I don't drink alcohol, I think this mm-hmm. freaking ad here is hilarious that they did. So check this out. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hey, Knuckleheads, GCR here. And with me, as always, Rob Bass. It's Nico. And Cartoon Joe. And we are here this holiday to share with you the GeekCast Live eggnog social recipe. It's our favorite drink. And the first step, Rob. Oh, well, you can go and get yourself some high quality eggnog. Uh, step number two. Uh, you need to go and pick out your absolute top shelf bourbon. Cartoon Joe, what's step number three? Open the eggnog and pour it down the drain. That's right, folks. <laughs> the best eggnog is bourbon. I think I got that right. Whip yourself up some latkes and uh, some stefagnoit and uh, put on your very best uh, holiday garb. I prefer Mm -hmm. a a Kwanzaa hat. I wear a sombrero. Uh, Right. And then David Lee Roth lights the menorah and we all cheers to the new year. For Purim. Mm -hmm. Is it Purim? I I think so. I'm pretty sure that's how it works. There's also Christmas. Father Christmas. Happy holidays, everybody. Stroke a reindeer. <laughs> Stroke a reindeer. Yep. That's the uh, GeekCast Live podcast crew over there. If you have not heard their show, everybody out there, it is the wackiest show, maybe. I don't know. Like It's, it's a competition in wackiness between a retro movie geek and GeekCast Live podcast, but they are the most like random rabbit hole 
intense geek. Like sometimes <laughs> I'll listen to them and I'll be like, I have no idea what they're even talking about. It doesn't, <laughs> they use so many weird nouns that I'm not even familiar with. It's like, I don't even know if they're speaking English right now. It's, it's bizarre. Well, they also, they released their show in seasons, which I like. Um, mm-hmm. And you kind of have to follow it that way because the show is like, 50% inside jokes. Like, yeah. listening to it. <laughs> it's so true. But yeah. it's, a, it's if, if you want to invest the time, it's worth the investment. I think they're a really funny group of guys. I, I also, I just love Rye. I don't know what it is about him, but mm-hmm. I, he just is like one of the most likable guys I've ever come across. Yes. Yes. He really is. And, um, love him so you can find them over at gcl.ninja we'll have it linked in the show notes hello this is james from grand rapids michigan and you're listening to horror movie podcast where we're dead serious about horror movies at this point let's move into our feature review of pet all these people who talk about love like it's this lightning bolt love's not a lightning bolt real love takes work are you really going to lecture me on love? You're keeping a girl in a cage. I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing this for you. I'm trying to save you. Then do it. Save me. Okay, Wolfman Josh, I know that you and everybody else <laughs> were telling me uh, make sure you watch The Wailing, and I will. I truly will. And they also said, <laughs> make sure you watch Train to Busan, right? And, mm-hmm. I, and I definitely will. I know you're going to be reviewing that later tonight. And I was. I was so torn. But the thing is, I knew that most people were already aware of those and heard the raves. And I knew you were going to be covering it and doing a good job on that. And so I thought, you know, I have been so intrigued by this little film called Pet. <laughs> So, um, quick little side note about this. Sorry about all the randomness, but Pet is a three-letter title. And recently on a, a podcast called The Center Realist Podcast, um, those guys contacted me and asked me if I would be a guest on that show. And they said, do you want to do a show where you do your top 10 three-letter titles? And I'm like, of course. I mean, that sounds like the greatest thing ever. And so I did some research, and it's not as easy as you might think, Wolfman, to look up a bunch of three-letter titles. You think you'd Google that? <laughs> I've got one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It only comes up with about like ten or twelve. You have to really dig. I ended up digging up about forty on my own, and then in that show itself, when we recorded it, there were probably like fifty at least, and I'm sure we missed a ton. But in my top ten list of three-letter titles. A huge percentage of those ended up being horror films, actually. And one of their hosts wasn't really a horror guy, so it was hilarious because I would give this very like hard, edgy horror film recommendation, and then he would go to something like Disney. And so it was a hilarious contrast. And when that finally releases, we'll definitely link it in the show notes. I hope everybody will go check it out because I was representing the community with three-letter horror titles. <laughs> so, anyways. That's great. This is one right here, and it's called Pet. And very intriguing to me when I saw this premise, because I knew exactly, if you look at the poster art, you see a gal 
in a cage and it's called pet. And I'm like, that's perfect. That's freaky. I know exactly what this is. Some weirdo has captured a girl that he likes in a cage and she is his pet. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know why I'm laughing. I mean, it sounds my, awful. <laughs> my, my wife would be very upset about that. But like the thing is, well, why do you say that sounds awful? It sounds like an awful experience or an awful premise. Oh, both. Definitely both. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, why doesn't that intrigue you? Because isn't that, because honestly, I'm, I'm being serious. That whole idea of someone abducting or kidnapping someone else and keeping them in a small box or a little room or hidden in the basement where they can't escape, that's one of the scariest things I can even imagine funny we're actually talking about two more movies tonight and maybe it's just the fact that we have so many movies on this episode but many of these movies cross over into one another and there are two other movies tonight that are kind of have that element in them yes that's just not that's like not at all my kind of horror movie so that's the that premise to me says much like boy i will never watch this movie (laughs) well um that's okay it's just as well because it's not great, to be honest. This was released in theaters on December 2nd, 2016, supposedly, according to Wikipedia. And also, according to that site, it is the lowest grossing theatrical release of 2016. With yes. A t- with a total gross of just $70. I don't know if that's true. but That means that not everybody who worked on the movie went to go see it. <laughs> But honestly, it's not that bad. I'm going to be saying that a couple times tonight. It's really not that bad. This stars um, Dominique Monaghan. Most people would know him as Charlie from Lost, if you were a Lost fan. And um, basically, Charlie... Or Lord of the Rings. Hello. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, his his role on there was um, less prominent. But yes, he's big on Lord of the Rings. You're right about that, too. But anyways... This uh, I want to call him Charlie, but it's Seth is his character's name. He works in a pet store and he seems like just a normal, nice guy, you know, and um, it's not a pet store. Actually, it's like the uh, the the animal shelter basically is what it is. And he's very compassionate. He loves dogs. He's friendly with the dogs. He's got a jerky boss and there's a jerky security guard, you know, not very nice people in this guy's life. Well, one day he's riding the bus home and he sees this beautiful blonde girl on the bus and he actually knows her from high school. Her name is Holly, played by um, Senia Solo. I'm not sure if that's how you say her name, but she's lovely. And, um, you know, basically he's fond of her and he slowly becomes kind of obsessed with her and she is not interested in him whatsoever. So the premise of this film is... He devises a way to capture this girl and put her in a cage and uh, keep her as his pet. <laughs> so, and that's the problem. Now, what? <laughs> I I feel like I sense dismissiveness from you. Like, tell me, this tell me what this is. Terrible. I have no like. Just you say that makes me say I never want to see this. That just sounds well, awful. Well, I'm trying to sell it right now. I mean, that's <laughs> that's my best sell job right there. Like, so um, you're not, in all honesty, this is an interesting study. So you're not at all curious about 
well, what does he want to do with her as his pet? Or will she get out? Or nothing good, Jay. No one keeps a human as a pet and does nice things <laughs> to them. There's not. There's no good outcome for this, and that's why it's a horror premise. That's but... right. Are we watching horror movies here? Or are we watching Disney movies? Right? Like it's just not the kind of horror I want to know about in life. <laughs> <laughs> Is it because that this kind of thing actually exists in the world and that bothers you? Is that why? Or you just, it's not fun. Maybe. Okay. I mean, I, it's, it's a level of depravity that is, uh, inhuman and, um, upsetting, but not like, that's not the main reason I go to horror movies. I like, uh, I want a thrill aspect as well. I like fun. I like to have fun when I'm watching a horror movie. Now, some, you, you know, you can give me a movie that's completely disturbing and if it is pulled off well, then that's fine. But that's just not a world I want to inhabit for any length of time. Um, not even an hour and a half. So, okay. Well, fair enough. And I could understand that actually. So for people who are kind of intrigued by this premise, one of your first thoughts will be um, like mine was, um, is this similar to the 2008 film called Dead Girl? And that's Dead Girl, all one word. Uh, we reviewed that before, I think, way back on the Weekly Horror Movie Podcast. Now, that, now if you want to talk about depravity, that <laughs> is depravity. That's very hardcore. And um, just Is that the, the one with your favorite actress in it? Um, or is that The Dead Girl? That was the girl you like. Oh, oh yeah. Brittany Murphy is The Dead yeah. Girl. And, and yeah. by the way, that's kind of a disturbing drama, but not really to the horror ex- depth. And that's The Dead Girl. This is just Dead Girl, all one word. And, okay. Uh, and this one is actually uh, uh, quite good. This is a, a very strong horror film. I'm just I'm on this tangent to draw a contrast here between the two. But in Dead Girl 2008, these boys have this woman who's imprisoned, kind of like in the basement of this um, abandoned mental asylum. They kind of have her chained up down there, and she's technically well, she may be dead. We don't know, but she's she's immobile, but she seems alive but also seems dead or comatose or something. And they use her as um, exactly what you would fear that they would use her for. And it is uh, a very sick and twisted film. But this film, Pet, is nowhere near as effective or as depraved as Mm -hmm. Dead Girl. Okay, so this is... um, And and in fact, the uh, Seth character is a lot more... I guess, compassionate and sentimental and so forth. So even though it is definitely a horror premise, the horror doesn't really come from where you think it would come from. Now, what's interesting about this film, and I won't say a whole lot about this, but I think that it's its greatest redeeming value is the whole concept of if you, if you own something, quote unquote own, or you have a pet, then you inherit that that pet and everything that goes along with it. I mean, anybody who my mother, actually my mom, my necromomicon just recently got a got a puppy for some reason. She told me I don't know why, but and she's she's hating life right now because it's awful and the you know the first year of puppy life and it's like yeah because when you when you assume a pet 
then you take on all the the aspects that are <laughs> negative. Have you ever seen Billy Madison? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, you're just reminding me of one of my favorite segments of that film. When Miss Libby's reading them the book about uh, the lost dog. You got to think. You've got a dog. You've got a responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And all the baggage that comes along with that. And so that's kind of an interesting um you know, flair or spin that they put in this movie Pet. The problem is, this is written by Jeremy Slater, and I think it's like 50% good, and then the other 50%, I, I don't like where they ultimately take the film. I don't like where it goes. And, um, you know, by the end of the film, I was basically rolling my eyes. It was ultimately disappointing for me, so... That was a bummer. There's a little bit of um, there's a little bit of gore in it, a little bit of blood and stuff. And in one moment, now Josh, this is not going to play well for you, but in one moment, in in the soundtrack, they actually have dog barks in the the, the score of the film. <laughs> and I know that sounds terrible, like absolutely terrible. And I was going to record it and, and demonstrate it, but um. I, I just, I didn't get around to it. So basically though, the it's a rhythmical, you know, it's, it's very rhythmical and the bark is on kind of on the beat and it, and, <laughs> it's not, it's not as dumb as that sounds actually. It, it actually kind of works, but this thing the burbs does that. I think that, I think that little tune I was just barking was from the burbs there. when the dog goes missing and, or the dog comes and poops on a uh, rumsfeld's lawn. But there you go. There you go. So anyways, that's it, a comedy. Yes, it is. <laughs> but in all seriousness, though, I mean, this thing, if it, if it went, if it continued to go in the dead girl direction, and I'm not necessarily talking about sexual assault or anything, but I'm just talking about into the strong horror realm that it had potential to go through. That would be great. But this kind of goes into some melodrama and stuff. And anyway, Pet from 2016 is a 4.5 for me. And I'd call it a low priority rental if you love those kind of premises like I do. But for most people, it's an avoid. But for me, I'm going to call it a 4.5 low priority rental you gonna check it out josh <laughs> oh yeah twice right <laughs> oh man so, so no you're way. you're totally not even okay i'm so out i was out when you said the name of the movie but uh by the time you finished describing it i just cemented that i will never in my life watch that movie <laughs> so okay all right well it's three letter title <laughs> If anybody, if anybody ever needs a three-letter title, that's one. Go with Wreck. Yes. Well, that was on my list, of course. Of course. All right, Wolfman Josh, I am so glad that you ended up seeing The Monster because now we can talk about this and review it. Uh, Dino has been giving me grief over my review of this on Movie Podcast Weekly. Mm, interesting. Because everybody assumed... Or at least Dino assumed that um, because this is a creature feature or a beastly freaks type of flick, yeah, which it certainly is, and a siege narrative of sorts. I mean, it it has mm-hmm. so many aspects to it that I love and child in peril, parent child, <laughs> yes, all the things you like. Great performances, um, man. I mean, this well has shot. yeah. So um, Dino thought this would be my my B Modi or my best movie of the year, like my favorite movie of the year. 
and I do like it quite a bit, but um, but we'll get to all that. Tell us um, the premise of the monster and tell us what you think about it. Uh, this is a movie about a deadbeat mom and her daughter who is emotionally injured due to her mother's lack of attentiveness and attention. I don't know if those are the same thing. <laughs> and <laughs> right. uh, they're, they're leaving on a little road trip. Uh, the film takes place in two timelines as well. We're seeing the current timeline as things are happening, as they're leaving on this road trip. And then we're seeing flashbacks to just moments of their life that kind of got them emotionally to where their relationship is at this point. Uh, the mom really struggles with being a supportive adult mm-hmm. uh, to her daughter and the daughter, you know, is, seems realistic has taken on her own um, uh, responsibilities to some degree for her age mm-hmm. uh, due to her mom not being really present or uh, reliable. And so that's the, a lot of the movie is that what I just said. Um, they, kind of get into a, a, a car wreck. I don't know how deep into this stuff we want to get, but they become stranded out in the middle of nowhere and they have to, as it says on the AMDB description, confront a terrifying monster when they break down on a deserted road. So that enough said, um, they find themselves in the middle of nowhere in kind of a wet, damp, dark location with a beast, mm-hmm. a beastly freak. <laughs> Indeed. Yes, it is. And uh, and uh, I don't know if Andy still says this or if Sandy now has taken over this <laughs> line, but hilarity ensues. <laughs> right, right. So do you like it? I liked it all right. I, I think the problem I have with it is completely the baggage I'm bringing to it as an individual and not the fault necessarily of the movie. Um, I know a few kind of deadbeat parents and I get really frustrated with that um, kind of thing in my real life. Yeah. Um, And so I have had issues with how these characters are handled due to my own um, interaction with similar types of people. Okay. And so that was a lot of what I was bringing to the film. I think um, we see to just talk in generalities the arc of this film should hopefully seem obvious that it's a mother realizing that uh, her daughter's the most important thing to her. Mm-hmm. And that is really nice. <laughs> Normally that's something that's <laughs> life affirming that I, you know, the instills my faith in, in humankind. And it's the kind of message that I like to underlie Anything, especially if it's not done in a heavy-handed way and it's done in a thrilling horror setting and we can still get something that's kind of life-affirming. What I hate about it is that this character does not live for her daughter. She's not here to be her mother. She is not the most important thing of her life, and she's shown that throughout the entire film and presumably this young girl's entire life. And so it's frustrating. I feel like the mom gets off pretty easy for her behavior for the supposed kind of breakthrough that she has throughout the course of this film. And that rubbed me in so wrong in just kind of like a person who cares about the welfare of children kind of way. Mm -hmm. But I had a hard time overcoming this character's, that character's arc. 
Um, and that bugged me about the whole with the whole film. I will say now that aside, like you said, the performances are stellar. It's really well shot. I love mm-hmm. the cinematography. There are a couple of shots that are gorgeous here. Um, yeah, and real, all of it looks good. And real quick on the performances, if you don't mind, honestly, yeah. you know how like in horror films we just kind of accept. I mean, we're accustomed to usually the performances are just decent at best to mediocre to poor and that's just kind of where horror performances often are but this is this is really like a next level i mean i think the acting here is tremendous which gives the film a lot of power now i mentioned before on the other podcast that the uh the mother is uh, zoe kazan she looks extremely young um, the daughter is Ella Ballantyne. And honestly, the girls look about like six to eight years apart. So that was so distracting for me. <laughs> I did not think that. Oh, really? Yeah, I felt like it was so distracting how much, how, how young the mom is, you know. But but anyway, that's a nitpick, so I'll let it go. But I mean, she clearly is the type of character who is a teen mother. I mean, she is right. not, not, not to say that teen mothers are responsible in the way that this mother is, but just that what we glean from this character is that she is in a circumstance she was not prepared to handle. Exactly. Well said. Yes, that's true. But so, yeah, the, the casting and the performances are great. Now, it's interesting to me and kind of hilarious that your problem with the film is kind of like with P.S. Zoe Kazan is 33 years old in real life. Yes, she is. Yes. But she looks about 22, 21, <laughs> you know, she could play 18 if she had to. Yeah, she's darling, but and young. But the thing is, it's funny to me, Josh, that you that you had problems kind of with the story arc. And I agree with everything you said there with me. The problems lie with the beastly freak itself. Now there's the creature design, which is decent, and and as far as creature features go, <laughs> this is actually better than many creature features, mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of times the, the monster looks dumb, and this is actually pulled off fairly well. Having said that, though, I still don't love creature design in this, and mm-hmm. so, but that's not a big deal. Again, that's a nitpick, so I'm gonna set that aside. But can, what? Can I just comment on that? While oh yeah, please, please go ahead. I. I I was of two minds about it too. Cause I thought like on one hand, it's not accomplishing what I would want from my ideal creature in such a film. Right. Yet it's so weird and different from everything I've ever seen. That's kind of a plus. Like I have never quite seen this before in a movie. And so mm-hmm. that's interesting at least. Yeah, it is. It is kind of interesting. Now what, what bothers me the most and where I'm really hung up on this film is the behavior of the monster it just makes no sense like now and i understand this is a some new creature of some sort that i'm not familiar with so how would i know i don't know it's zoological records and behavior i know that seems ridiculous but in terms of what we see the monster do earlier in the film and if we're talking about primal instinct to hunt and kill this thing does really weird things like, um, you know, because when they wreck, there's like a, a half injured, half eaten wolf in the road. Right. And so obviously this monster has been uh, chomping on it or fighting this wolf. And we see that the monster is, you know, a hunter and aggressive and so forth. 
But uh, there's a scene where there's a character standing very close to the monster at the edge of the woods. And it just looks at her and it bugs me so much. Because like moments later, another character is just taken away and disappears. And it really irritates me. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, we don't understand why exactly why the monster is acting in the ways that it's acting. Maybe is that kind of what you're saying? And so there's an inconsistency there that bothers you. Yeah, yeah. Because- um, I, I guess I, having just seen this, um, and not having thought that much about it, <laughs> I th- I thought it I thought it could have potentially just been explained by, um. I guess that didn't bother me when I was watching because I thought maybe I'm going to learn something more that's going to explain what exactly is going on. And ultimately, I don't think, based on what I remember, I don't think that it does explain anything that would explain that uh, or give us anything additional that would explain that other than, you know, it's just a creature doing what creatures do and maybe it didn't need to do that at that moment. I don't know. Yeah, it's. I, I, I guess it was. Uh, it was not something that was weighing heavily on my mind. Okay. But I see but I see what you're saying. What about this then? Okay, so um one aspect that I love is that they are trapped inside of this car and it is a siege narrative of sorts because they're inside the box, the monsters outside the box, so to speak. And much like Cujo, for example. Now Cujo is one of my top ten all time favorite horror films and that <laughs> Can you compare anything to the greatest film ever made? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it is like, oh my goodness. It's like my number two or something it's like your that. your promote it. Your best movie of all time. <laughs> no. Well, after Texas Chainsaw. But anyway, I do love this. Um, I, I mean, I love Cujo. And the reason I love Cujo is because um, that it's that situation where they're, they're stuck in a dangerous situation that becomes even deadlier the longer they're stuck in it. And the Cujo is, attack is kind of graduated, you know, and, and it makes sense the way that everything escalates in that film. It makes sense what the characters do. It makes sense what the monster does, quote unquote, in Cujo. But in this film, the monster, um, you you know, on one hand, I, I'm of two minds because I praise it for being uh, kind of surprising. It has some really unexpected surprises in it. And this film doesn't really go where you think it's going to go. So I have to commend it for that. But it, on the other hand, once again, it doesn't make sense. And and Josh, I'm getting a recurring theme here in our complaints on three different aspects of the film now. We've said that the kind of the, the narrative through line or the arcs of the film just aren't really connecting for us. Yeah, right. Now, yeah, when you were talking about the monster, I was definitely thinking that as well. Like, oh, that's interesting because I was having trouble with the other characters' arc. Right, yeah. So yeah. So for me, I, I rated this a 6.5 out of 10, mm-hmm. and yep. I called it a rental. I think there's, there's nothing wrong with this film in terms of like, if you want to just have good escapist entertainment, horror film, creature feature. I mean, it does have some blood and gore in it. It's not a ton. It's not super scary, but it's kind of creepy. But our friend, just so you know, Josh, well, I'll tell you that in a minute. First, I want to hear your rating. What do you say? It's hard because the craft, except for, I would say, in the writing is spot on. I think the writing is the real weakness here. And I'm I'm a big fan of the director, Brian Bertino, based on The Strangers. I just think it's one of the best siege narratives, home invasion films of all time. 
Um, I think even his second film, Mockingbird, which I don't think is nearly as good as The Strangers, is still really strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think what we see in The Strangers is this guy's able to take fear and, and heartfelt emotion and combine those things really well. And I would say that the heartfelt emotion here is the best element of it, but it wasn't clicking for me. Um, and so, you know, just due to the characters. And so it was, I don't know, it, um, what should have been the thing that completely won me over left me a little cold. Um, you know, because I, I think this has potential. This could be in a Baba Duck level if you're talking about how well it was shot, how good the performances were, these parent-child relationship, child and pair horror happening to those who deserve at least all these things that we always talk about. Mm-hmm. Yet it just didn't land for me um, due to these elements we're talking about. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm okay. I, I would say a six point five on this one. Yeah, and I would call it a rental. Um, me too. <laughs> so yeah, but okay do, do you know? And I'm, I'm I really think I've remembered this correctly because he gave it his rating in a mini review. So I don't think I have it written down. But I'm pretty sure that our friend Dino gave it a 9 out of 10. He really liked this a lot. And That's great. And, and honestly, a lot of our listeners you know, have been sending in their top 10 list for the year and, and discussing it on the website and on social media. Like Everyone's talking about the year-end list and the monsters on a lot of people's lists, mm-hmm. at least in the top like 15 range on probably almost everybody's list I've looked at. So. Yeah, so we're going to be taking a lot of people off right now. But um, I will say... <laughs> And again, I, I, I can't state enough how good all of the as- other aspects are, but I just think there's a weakness in the writing mm-hmm. that keeps it from attaining. Um, well, and then it holds it back because it's just not logical for me as a character. And then what you're saying as a monster, and I right. guess both of those are related to the same thing. Yeah, exactly. I agree with that. Now, the, my maybe my favorite aspect of it, though, is how the title works. Like, um, because she's the worst mom ever. And, and as the film goes and we see these flashbacks, we start to think maybe the title is actually referring to the mom. Maybe she is the monster. And, um, I thought it was going Babadook places rather than, (laughs) right. Then rather than a literal monster. Yeah. But it does have, it does have a literal monster in it. So I love the teeth. Yeah, the teeth are great. So so I, I love how it works two ways where the mom's the monster and the creature is the monster. That's pretty cool. But definitely worth people's time, I mean, to rent it, right? I mean, they should definitely rent it, we think. And Josh and I both say 6.5 out of 10. Right now you can stream it on Amazon, I see, for 7 bucks. All right, and now um, here's a film that I'm very interested in. Um, hearing about Josh, I... You know, the title, I have no idea what the hell that means, but but the cover art is pretty interesting. So tell us a little bit about Baskin. Yeah, Baskin is one of those films that, again, when I saw the cover art and I heard some of the buzz and I looked, I didn't want to see too much of the trailer, but when I just saw a glimpse of what the footage looked like, um, I felt immediately like, oh, I'm going to love this. <laughs> and um, I don't think I really loved it when I watched it. Um, it's dark and depressing and abysmal and gory and disturbing. 
So if you like all of those things, I think it's great. I think it's got this cool premise. How it begins is with uh, some police officers who have to kind of show up in this rural area for a, um, an investigation. And at first they kind of think they've stumbled onto kind of some kind of cult, but then it actually ends up seeming as though they've gone through a corridor into hell. So that as a premise is exciting to me. Yes. The poster looks good. The footage looks good. Um, but I think much like two of the other films I've talked about on the show, Beyond the Gates, it's a little disjointed in ways that I don't think it intends to be. Okay. And like The Neon Demon, I think it's a lot of style with not a lot of substance. Um, and then add to that just that it's not my type of film with just how heavy it is. It's just not exactly what I'm looking for out of a film experience. There are some killer performances. All the cops are great. It's really beautifully shot. Like just like the neon demon, the cinematography is mind boggling, beautiful, scrumptious. The lighting (laughs) is awesome. Um, all of the actors are really strong, but in, in particular, there's a character who's a non-actor that was brought in to play, quote, the father. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we wonder, is he potentially the devil? Is he some kind of um, cult leader? Is he some demon? But he's a man who in real life suffers from a rare skin condition. And I don't know what it is. Um, offhand because I'm not I'm too lazy to have looked it up to tell the audience <laughs> so you're saying the actor himself in real life the actor has himself this. in real life has a rare condition and and the director said I want to find unique strange looking people so the casting people went out and just looked for unique strange looking people and they found this guy who had never acted before and hit not only does he look good I mean, interesting and unique and you've never seen it in a movie. He looks like almost like a, like a practical effects character because he just has such a unique face for the cinema, but he is really good in his role. I mean, he's a, he's a first class, like grade a actor for having never done it before in his life. Wow. um, It's unfortunate that I just don't think he's given much to work with here. There's not much of a plot. Um, there's no real story. They, they, they do some interesting things, but, uh, to tie kind of these characters, life, life events to what's happening to them now, it's fairly straightforward. It, it is very symbolic. So it doesn't feel straightforward. It feels like what is happening? WTF. This is mind boggling, crazy trippy, but really once you kind of decode it, it's very straightforward what's happening. Um, and so, I don't know, I really liked half of it a lot. And the further I got into it, kind of the less I enjoyed myself. Um, the place where they're in hell, I hated it. Like, it's just not at all what I want. <laughs> you, you mean know? the production design or what? The feel, Almost like I was saying, the world that I'm inhabiting. And we know this. I'm a wuss, okay, horror fans? You guys are <laughs> hardcore and I'm a wuss, all right? I don't like martyrs. Screw you guys. <laughs> <laughs> if you like P- 
people looking like they're being tortured in like rusty Mad Max S&M gear while their eyes are cut out and they're bleeding in there. Like, you know, it's that kind of stuff. It's just like, I don't, I just am not that into it. Um, (laughs) There's nothing fun about it. And I don't think there's enough plot to have it be meaningful. Does it have... Does it have girls in cages? Might as well. It has, <laughs> it has, it has much worse than girls in cages. Okay. Just wondering. They're, they're awful, awful scenes with a woman who then gives birth to a demon baby. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. But look, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's a really interesting film. I think people who are into kind of extreme cinema and who are into artful visual storytelling will be able to appreciate this a lot. I think um, it's not for me though. So, um, so yeah, I got you. Now one last question though, before you rate it, do the cops, you said you really liked the cops that you said they were really good. Do they actually behave like cops in this scenario? Like, is it, well, I, I know a lot of people apparently are complaining that they're not using their guns properly. Okay. <laughs> Who cares? Like what I'm saying is maybe they're not good cops. Like that's really like that's I don't know. That does did not bother me at all. I I think they're they're bad people. They all there's a, the, the the movie starts out amazingly. There are these cops in a in a diner talking and they're all just telling horrible things that they've done. Okay. And then that it almost feels like a Tarantino movie. And then it ends up, you know, there's reasons that they're all finding themselves in hell later on, basically. Right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, um, it's a Turkish film. So subtitles here again, and, um, not, uh, common to see a Turkish horror film. Number one, number two, they had to film a lot of this without permits and the locations and production design are impeccably gorgeous. And so to think that they had to steal those, these locations, and if they got caught, they would have gotten trouble is, shocking when you actually see the movie so the level of difficulty like i i can grant it a lot of um grace charity i guess when yeah. i'm thinking about it like that i see but yeah uh <laughs> just not my style of film there is a film that the beginning reminded me of which is called witching and bitching right <laughs> my french or my spanish actually it's a sp- it's a film from Spain uh-huh. and uh, that film is really interesting. We should completely review this sometime. It's, it's, it's a horror comedy and just kind of zany, but really interesting and unique. Uh, it starts out in kind of a similar way with a group of ne'er-do-wells ending up in kind of a rural area where they find themselves in a bad situation, which I, as I say it, that generally, that sounds like every horror movie, right? <laughs> right. but it, but this one feels a lot like Baskin in uh, that film. It's not cops though. It's, it's robbers. So it's a, a guy who a people, a couple of people who have robbed uh, a kind of like a pawn shop or a bank or something. And they uh, kind of, kidnap a guy for his car and they find themselves out in a rural area and they run into like a whole town that is a uh, coven of witches. Oh, interesting. Okay. So that one would be preferable over Baskin. And- oh no, not necessarily. I just said tonally it oh, okay. felt similar of how these cops, how they are interacting, how the pacing of those films 
uh, compare. I don't know. I just found that interesting. And that and that that was one that I stumbled upon when we were doing our witchy women episode in my research. I it didn't quite fit with what we ended up doing there, but um, that's kind of one I would not mind recommending people check out if they like a a little bit over the top insane uh, comedy horror film. Okay. Um, but Baskin, sorry, back to Baskin. Um, <laughs> it's not going to be for everybody. It wasn't really for me, but it's really strong, except for with regard to narrative. Kind of like I feel like we're sa- we have a lot of the same complaints about all these films. Kind of like Monster. Kind of like Neon Demon. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's strong in all of the individual elements, but it's not coming together to create something that I loved. What is with the title Baskin? Because all I can think of is the ice cream Baskin Robbins. I love that. That's where you went with it. So Baskin is a Turkish word. Actually, I had to look that up, but um, it's kind of a dual meaning. So it means raid. And in fact, that martial arts film, The Raid, when it was released in Turkey, it was called Baskin as well. (laughs) But um, it also means a descent. So okay. it's kind of the descent is also its name. It's talking about descending into hell, which is what they do. So it's, it's nice because as the, the cops who are on a raid and yet they descend into hell. I gotcha. I remember there was a garbage pail kid card uh, that was spoofing the Baskin Robbins. And I think it was basking Robin or something like that. Anyways, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. So what do you rate Baskin? It's difficult because I did not enjoy my experience, but it is technically well-made. So I am going to give Baskin a 6 out of 10, but for me, it's an avoid. Okay, 6 out of 10, avoid. All right. Well, you know, if people want to tell us what they thought of Baskin in the show notes, please let us know. We'd love to hear from you. All right. Well, speaking of being fair to movies, I'll tell you a movie that I think really got a lot of heat this year. I thought it was kind of unfair, actually. And that was shut in. Did you see um, from (laughs) box office? Let's see. Well, first of all, box office mojo. Okay. So domestically, this made, as of December 12th, this has only made 6.8 million, which is very low. All right. And if you look at like Rotten Tomatoes, Josh, for shut in. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. I have not. No. Okay. not research shut in. Well, I did see the trailer and I thought it looked fine. I thought it looked good. Right. Well, let me just tell you, this has a, <laughs> this has a 4% on a tomato meter. Okay. And that's Ouch. from, that's from the critics. I mean, for a long time, it actually only had a zero basically. And then the audience score is 25%. Mm. And so this thing got a lot of hate and honest to goodness, like, I just don't see it. I mean, it's not a great film, but I think people are way too hard on this. So I'm here to try to defend it as much as I can. First of all, it stars Naomi Watts. And who doesn't love Naomi Watts? We know she can do horror because she did so well in The Ring. Yeah, I love Naomi Watts. I also love Oliver Platt. And I also really like this young kid, Charlie Heaton, from Stranger Things. So Absolutely. I have, I have a hard time imagining disliking the movie that much. Yeah, well, and it has Jacob Tremblay. For people who saw Room, which is an incredible film. Not horror, but, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. but horrifying in, in many ways. Anyway, yeah. 
Uh, that kid is in that movie, and it's great. So uh, great cast here. And the premise is um, Naomi Watts plays this ch- child psychologist, basically, and she's a mom. And as the film opens, this is how the film opens. Um, her her son, she's kind of estranged with, they're having trouble with their son. The dad is driving him away. Like, they're sending him away to, like, some reform school or something like that or some, like, detention center. And uh, they they get in the car wreck. And the dad dies. That's the opening scene. And oh, man. Yeah. The dad dies. And the kid is in this vegetative state. And he is completely non-responsive. He's basically just a, a body that breathes is what he is. And so this mom, Naomi Watts, lives out in kind of the boonies <laughs> in New England in the wintertime, far away. And she she uh, takes care of this kid who's completely helpless. She has to do every single thing for this, her son. And, and that's kind of her life. And, and so I don't know whether the title shut in refers to the son or her. I think it refers to her ultimately because she can't really leave because she feels this responsibility toward him. Mm. So that's kind of the, like right off the bat, um, where the premise is. Now, this is a very slow film. I think that's one big reason why people hate it so much. It's one of those dramas that, you know, eventually becomes horror much later in the film. And it is a PG-13, so... Isn't there a supernatural element to this thing, too? Yes, yes. Um, If you were to classify it, I mean, it's it's kind of a, a careful thing because there there's a lot of mystery to it. I and, see, I see. And part of the fun is trying to, like, identify and peg where it falls. So usually I do give a... Uh, clear genre classification of how it would break down but this seems like a number of things as you're watching it and Mm -hmm. so yeah it could be a spoiler even right yeah so i i won't classify what it what it ends up being exactly but it's um you know it's it's a long slow journey it's definitely a slow burn and this is for people i think who who like dramas that are very dark or go the thriller route or the horror route. Um, but this isn't for somebody who wants a lot of like horror stuff in it. So there's that. Now I'm usually an impatient viewer, as you know, but it was creepy enough. It, it is a little unsettling that I was still intrigued all, all the way through it, actually. And there are a couple of genuinely creepy scenes. Now it does have to, to try to move the film along. They have a lot of the cheap jump scares, which I think are dumb. And I, I can't tell you how many times it's like she has a dream and then you wake up and you're like, oh, that wasn't real at all. And, and like, man, that's irritating to me. And they do it a lot in this, um, you know, so that's kind of frustrating. But the way that it ends up paying off, I think, is uh, it's not 100 percent satisfying. And and I'll just say this, like, <laughs> it's kind of interesting I think people who like the boy, like I do, uh, are the people who will at least appreciate Shut In and what it's trying to do. But people like Dr. Shock, who who really don't like the boy, um, probably won't appreciate this as much. So I'm not saying it's the exact same thing, but there are some similarities. So 
just the way that it, you know, it plays with the audience. I think the the biggest missed opportunity is the fear and the uh, that sense of dread that a parent has over um, what's going to happen when I outlive if I outlive my child that I need to take care of, like who's going to take care of that kid. Um, There's a tiny bit of that, not very much at all. And there's even the guilt factor of like her not wanting to take care of this kid anymore. And and so that's in the film too, but not as much as I would have liked to have seen it. So ultimately, I mean, shut in, I think had a bad rap because I think people, we're expecting a full-blown horror film. It's a drama with a tinge of horror. It's very slow. And so that's why people hated it. But for me, it was like a five. So that's why you think things just because it's slow paced. That's the issue. Yeah. I think people thought this was going to be a full-blown horror film. And it was mostly like serious. It's about 90% drama, 90% a drama and 10% a horror film. And it's, it's way slow. It takes forever to get to the horror and I think people were just so irritated they were out of it. Now, the audience I saw it with, they didn't seem, in the theater, they didn't seem to be too displeased. I mean, I, I thought it was fine. I didn't fall asleep or anything. I saw the late show. But for me, it's a 5.5 out of 10. And I would call it a rental. But again, only for people who like drama, horror. People love to pile on something when it's doing really badly, I feel yeah. like. Yeah, yeah, and it, it just, it, honestly, it wasn't fair um, because this movie was not that bad. <laughs> so, anyways. That surprises me that the critics, though, would be hard on it because they wanted a horror film. You know what I mean? Like, well, that's the one discrepancy I see in your in your explanation. Yeah, well. So I feel like the New York Times isn't like, that wasn't a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, but well, well, here's the thing. Like, when... When our um, expectations, how can I say this? When when things are revealed and, and everything is understood in a movie because there are revelations as movies unfold, sometimes people are just displeased with the revelation. And I definitely think that was the, the case here with Shut In. And, and just like my favorite film, The Village, you know, people are displeased with how that winds up, you know. Things like that. And I'm not saying they're parallel. I'm just saying that. <laughs> I, hear you. I, I get where you're going. Okay. So there you go. All right, Josh. How about, can you tell us about the girl and the photographs? So the girl in the photographs was interesting. My um, thoughts about it shifted wildly throughout the film. Um, first, it had kind of like a very typical slasher movie setup where it was just kind of like this is going to be lame <laughs> um it, it, it's like a small town girl working uh, you know a, a grocery store job and people start leaving photographs of dead or mutilated women that, for her to find oh so she takes it to the police and the police aren't going to help her um, but somehow this all makes national news and there's a famous photographer, fashion photographer in LA played by Cal Penn from, uh, uh, the white castle movies. What are those guys called? Harold and Kumar, uh, go to white castle movies, Cal Penn of, um, Barack Obama <laughs> administration fame. Was it hard to take him seriously when you saw him in this movie? 
that's when I started liking the movie. As soon as he was on the screen, I was like, this is awesome. I yes. only said that because he's a comedian, typically, you know. And he plays a funny character. Oh, okay. Um, but he, plays a, he plays a guy who's just a jerk, but his jerkiness is played for laughs okay. uh, in the film. And um, when he came on screen, all of a sudden I was like, wait, this is going to be something very different that I thought it was going to be. And I'm really fascinated to see where this goes. <laughs> okay. And uh, basically he's this famous fashion photographer in LA. He sees this and he's like, this is, and, and it's from his hometown. So he's like, I'm the only famous person that came out of my little backwater hometown. And this uh, killer who is an outside artist, you know, nobody photographer is doing stuff that I wish I could come up with. I'm out of ideas. I need some inspiration. I'm going to go back home and track down who this uh, killer is and take photos that like resemble his photos. And uh, as I try to explain it, I realize it's kind of a weird um, thing to kind of set the movie in motion, but it does. And that sounds dangerous too. Yeah. So he, he heads back to his hometown with his assistant and a couple of fashion models, one of whom he's dating. And um, by the way, one of them played by Miranda Ray Mayo. I think she's on a television show right now, Chicago fire. Holy Mm. crap. And she was on um, pretty little liars. She is awesome. Oh my gosh. She's so good. Um, Toby Hemingway, who I think is a little bit underrated for being a pretty boy. He does not play a pretty boy here, and he has kind of a nothing part. He was in that really bad Warlock movie from a few years ago, The Coven. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Okay. But I I like him, actually, and I wish he had had a better role. And then the main girl is played by Claudia Lee, and it took me a long time to come around to her. It was literally like one of the last two scenes of the movie where she won me over. Um, I think with a different lead, I also could have liked this film a lot more. Um, and then your bad guy has a really unique look as well. He's also a fashion model. He's played by a guy named Luke Baines. And so when you see him at first, like if you were to Google him, he just looks like mildly attractive and nothing special. He looks like a model type of a guy. But the way that they style him in the movie as is the case with a lot of fashion models, he has like really extreme bone structure yeah. in his face. And he is playing a villain and he looks so creepy. And it's weird to choose someone who has made their living by being attractive and put them in this role where they're intending to be make them look creepy. And it's really effective. Like it made me think like, man, they should use fashion models as killers more often. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Really yeah. Good. Like it's a really weird off putting um, kind of vibe. And it's something that's unexpected. And so there was so much that was unexpected about this film. And so you have uh, that guy, Luke Baines as Tom playing, you know, it's revealed fairly early on that he is the photographer um, and the killer and he is engaging in, you know, capturing these women and torturing them and killing them and putting them in a small cage for a short time. <laughs> there you go. I'm just kidding. And, uh, <laughs> and photographing them. And he has this whole cat and mouse game that he's playing. Uh, just for me, it's weird because something that seemed like it could have had a real shot at being a unique take on a slasher. By the way, this was the final film that Wes Craven produced uh, before he passed away. Oh, wow. Um, ends up being 
first a little underwhelming and then because it is it feels a lot more just kind of bland and paint by numbers than I think it should have. I just feel like it result. I don't mind the ultimate, ultimate ending. It's kind of cute and clever or whatever. <laughs> cute for a horror well, film. That's interesting. for the premise. It works well for the premise. You okay. know what I mean? Like, um, it's an interesting payoff for the premise, but, uh, the whole kind of climax just turns into, you know, we just finished re- reviewing all these 80 slasher movies and they, they don't, for a film that started out being really interesting, they don't, they not only don't improve on or add anything to the slasher subgenre, they really don't even quite get it right. So wow. um, it was disappointing for having so much going for it and for also being Wes Craven's last hurrah. But I got you. Um, I would give the girl in the photographs probably a six and say it's a rental. It is currently streaming for free on Netflix if you have a subscription. Um, and for a cheap rental everywhere else. So um, it's worth a rental, but um, nothing great. I would say it's better than a lot of modern slashers, though I, you know, I was not someone who enjoyed a lot of the early 2000s slashers, and I liked this more than most of those. Okay. That's the girl in the photographs, and Josh says it's a 6 out of 10, and rent it. Hi, this is Juan from Houston, Texas, and you're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we that serious about horror movies. Okay, Josh, this film here is one that I'm hearing a lot about as well. So I've been waiting to add more to my list to tell us about Under the Shadow. Oh, yeah. So Under the Shadow is a 2016 film. It is directed by a guy named Babak Anvari. And it stars a woman named Narjus Rashidi. And it is... uh, film that takes place in the eighties in Tehran. So it's mostly about a woman and her daughter. Basically, well, it's, it's taking place during the middle of war and the war has not necessarily reached uh, Tehran yet. So these characters, um, as it begins are not in mortal danger from the war yet. And the mother has recently suffered some disappointment that she's not going to be able to go back basically and get her, her, I don't know if you call it a doctorate degree, her MD. She's, she was studying medicine and she became kind of like politically involved in her college years. And then she had a kid and then she kind of sat around for five years. And then she decided she was going to go back to school. And when she went back, it was kind of unclear to me whether it was because of her political activism or because her credits had expired or a combination of those. But basically as the film is beginning, they tell us she's never going to be able to go back to the university. And she's very upset about this. So she goes home to her husband who uh, stayed on the straight and narrow path when he was in college and became a doctor. And so there's a lot of resentment between them uh, that, you know, for her saying, you know, kind of annoyed that he is living the life that she wishes she was living and him kind of saying, well, you could have done it, but you screwed around for too long. And um, cold. Yeah. And, 
And, you know, and him kind of saying, look, you're a mom. You need to take care of our kid now. And her kind of saying, like, heck, I'm more than just a mom. Screw you. And so there, there's a lot of tension in their marriage when he gets called off to war. Um, now he's going to be a doctor, but it is going to be in, kind of in the front lines. Okay. And so she's left home alone in this apartment with her daughter. And she is just annoyed and grumpy and kind of like raunchy and just like basically very upset um, (laughs) already. And now she's kind of in this kind of tight, closed environment where, um, you know, she doesn't want to be and similar to kind of monster, although not nearly to that extent, she's resenting that she's asked to be a mom kind of in this situation. Sad. Okay. Yeah. So the kid isn't really presenting much of an issue. The kid's going out and playing in the courtyard and things, but then the kid starts coming in and talking about how there are these ghosts or these entities, which, uh, which is like I mentioned in the whaling, I don't really know what these entities are <laughs> because this is not something that I'm familiar with. Right. I mean, these are like Persian myths or yeah. Persian monsters that I know nothing about. Yeah. IMDB so, has the country for this listed as UK, Qatar, Jordan, and Iran. And the language is Persian. <laughs> yeah. Well, they filmed it in Amman, Jordan, but it takes place, you know, in Toronto. So okay. yeah, the it, Persian is definitely um, the background of our main characters. Interesting. And um, yeah, it is interesting because you know, having spent a lot of time around, uh, Muslims in kind of official capacities and not in personal capacities. I haven't really seen kind of the at home life. And, you know, she is someone who is kind of this progressive lady who was kind of for 1980 passing um, to kind of fit in with her culture, but she comes home and, um, you know, she was wearing tank tops and, taking off her, you know, her head coverings. And I know that I, I, I'm so, I'm so um, ignorant about this and I apologize to any of our um, Muslim listeners, but I just don't know a lot about how, how uh, your, the daily life is inside of the homes. And so it was interesting to see when she's talking to her neighbors and when her and her husband kind of have to interact with the outside world and how she has to change her appearance and, her demeanor as opposed to how she is kind of as a mom and inside the house. And so that's something that's interesting that's happening in the film. I gotcha. Um, Just as like a cultural underpinning, but I think it adds a lot of, um, or adds a bit of tension and a lot to the character to kind of have that going on, I think with her. So the war arrives to their area and their building is bombed and people start moving out of their building and it's becoming too dangerous, but she won't leave. She doesn't want to live with her husband's family. She refuses to leave. And meanwhile, people in her neighborhood or in her building are saying, um, it's not the war that is causing the strange things that are happening around here. It's this demonic entity that's causing. Whoa. So, so they're hearing bombs, they think, but it's not that the war has actually arrived that it's this evil well, presence. Yeah. I mean, we definitely believe that a bomb hits their apartment building. Like, but like they're just, um, kind of, uh, creepiness surrounding some of the elements. And I don't want to give anything away. Right. Um, 
But um, yeah, she starts. To, she's she is a skeptic. She does not believe in these entities, but her daughter does, and her daughter's having interaction with other children and other adults who are telling her that these things are real and that they should leave. And so um, that's kind of the premise. It's really good. Uh, it's not as intense as I think a lot of horror fans would hope it would be, but there are some definitely intense scenes. Um, I wish it went a little bit further than it does. But it's very, it's it's still very good. It's going to make my top ten list for the year. Wow! Um, I, I would give it an eight, and I would say it's a high priority rental for for me. So okay, so a couple things, if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. I, I love when we review things like this. There used to be a movie podcast called um, Seen Unseen Podcast. I remember hearing about I, I that. I remember that. Yeah. Remember yeah, that. like where, and, and their little gimmick for listeners who don't know, they would intentionally have. One guy, one host would see the movie and one host would intentionally not see it. And then they would discuss it together, you know, and that, that way to give you the audience point of view for people who were unfamiliar. So I like doing that with you, Josh. Now, first of all, I see it's a PG-13 horror film and people sometimes make judgments about that. So my first question is, is this still pretty scary, even though it's PG-13? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's heavy on the drama. It's a lot about, um, there are a couple films that we were talking about on the show and it's a, it's a gripe of mine is that I think, I almost feel like it's a new, I don't know if it's a new fad or if it's a new <laughs> like emerging structure in screenwriting, but it seems like things are not happening until the midway point in a lot of these movies now. Yes. Like I, I, I used to always be the 15 minute mark or the 20 minute, mark, like sometimes the 10 minute mark, but you can always count on by the 20 minute mark. We're into the horror situation. Exactly. And a lot of horror movies give us the, the stinger up front, the cold open horror scene to tide us over those 20 minutes until we get back into the horror. That's correct. And that establishes the tone and, and introduces to people what this movie's going to be. Yes. Right. Well, there are several movies that I or we're covering tonight, um, and this is one of them where it's like 30, 40 minutes into the movie before we're really getting into the meat of the horror. And so um, that's a little bit frustrating even for me. Even, you know, I don't mind a slow burn. I like dramas just fine. But, I, again, maybe it's just that I'm in the mindset of, I'm watching these movies for my horror list. And that really is the mindset in which by in which I was watching all these films. Me too. Um, <laughs> so, so it gave me an expectation of, all right, let's get to the horror movie. Let's get to the horror. And so it was a little frustrating. I got to say to go, and I don't remember exactly what the minute mark was on this one, but it was at least 30, if not 40 minutes before, um, you know, the real like true horror elements are sh rearing their head in terms of PG 13. Um, yeah, I don't think it's not a hardcore horror film. I don't think it's like skimping to meet a rating though. It's, it's, um, you know, obviously, I mean, this is not even based on the U S rating system. You know, this is from another country. I think they are telling, uh, a story that's appropriate to uh, the, they use the, all of the horror elements are appropriate to the story they're trying to tell. Okay. And, and you know, it is what it is. It just is what it is. But the only other question I had for you, though, I mean, you gave it an eight. You said it was going to be in your top ten. I still don't really have the sense of why you loved it so much. I mean, is it 
uh, like what um, is it the revelation like when it unfolds and you see what it is is it something like that that you can't really no, describe or what no <clears throat> um for me the it has a lot of the things we talked about with monster where it's got a parent child situation okay it's got a parent uh, a child in peril it's got the things i appreciated about the whaling where it's I'm getting to experience a culture that is to me unique that I have not ever seen the inside of. And I certainly have not seen anything about their horror mythologies. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's exposing me to a type of horror I've never seen before. Okay. It's also anchored by just an Oscar worthy performance by the main actress. I mean, she is just really, really good. Narjus Rashidi. She is so strong in this movie as the mom. Um, really good. I mean, there, there are a lot of good actors in the films we've talked about, but she's definitely in my top three or four actors in any of the films I saw uh, on this episode. She's just makes the movie work. And the movie really is based on her. I mean, it, she carries it. It's her in an apartment is most of the film. Right. Yeah. So um, she had to be good in order for it to work. And she is good. The it's not a hardcore horror film, but it's you're not, but you're pleased with the overall horror concept, though it sounds like the the because, conceit of it. Yeah, particularly just because it's so fresh to me, because it's not it's something I am I am familiar with, and so it's like it's I mean it's and it's the thing I can't really put my finger on about Korean cinema either, although this is very different. I don't have the proper tools to describe it. And that's exciting to me because it's just like, sure. I, I can deconstruct an American paranormal film, uh, blindfolded hands tied behind my back. Like, it's like, it's so <laughs> obvious to me where the films are going because they're all the same to some degree, even if they're unique, they're still based on a genre formula. And with these films, I just have no idea what to expect. And yeah. so there's something that's really, I'm energizing about that. That's neat. And it seems like, I mean, hearing you say that tonight about the whaling and about under the shadow, it really makes you think we need to spend more time in a foreign horror cinema. Really? I would think so. Yeah. Now I, I, I know that a lot of our listeners, um, liked this film and Dino has come up so many times this episode. I guess he usually does, but this is getting ridiculous. Dino, but Dino at one point said this was his favorite film of the year. Um, I don't know if that still will be the case when he finishes his list. This was not that high for me. I mean, The Wailing is a movie that I loved and will revisit a lot and already have revisited it a lot by most <laughs> standards. Right. Um, this is not that. This is, to me, just a really great film experience that was unique. And I am glad to see a film from this part of the world and that in an excel in and of itself is a unique experience to get a great horror film uh, from Tehran. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's probably a one-time view for me as opposed to something like the whaling that I'm going to just enjoy for the rest of my life. But I'm glad that I got to see this one. Well, as you've reviewed under the shadow, I've been just, you know, sitting here staring at the poster art and something interesting. I, I, I don't know if it's just that I'm tired or, but uh, it, it has really started to kind of work on me, like the the imagery of the poster itself. So that's that's interesting. Yeah, that's that pretty, is cool. That's pretty cool. So, all right. Well, thanks for covering Under the Shadow. I have been curious about it because I've been hearing great things. 
All right. Here's a movie that just really confuses me and baffles me because <laughs> I have heard so many different things. Like it, it seems like the horror community has been all over the place about this movie. It is uh, Ouija. Well, some many people, I guess most people pronounce it Ouija, and that's fine. I don't care. I say Ouija, Origin of Evil, <laughs> and um. It's a PG-13 horror film that came out in October. And first of all, like Shani Dreadful, for example, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think she despised it. Whereas uh, Bill Shetty on his top 10 list, I won't tell you where, but you will find this movie in his top 10 list, which I was shocked. Oh. And for me, I'm, I'm more toward the lower end of the spectrum. But I, I will say for those people who have hated on this film and dismissed it outright i don't think that's possible i mean i don't think we should do that because was <laughs> truly because this is one of those films that has a lot of merit in it and like especially in the beginning the way it's set up and everything it's actually pretty impressive so um it's set in. I, I was dismissive of this when I saw the trailer. Right, me too. I don't too. know if you remember that. And our audience jumped down my throat because there are a lot of Mike Flanagan supporters within our listenership. That that's true. And um, yeah, I was the same way as you were, and I totally agree. But yeah, like people love Oculus and Hush and Absentia is mm -hmm. still to this day my my favorite of his. I mean, that's. And Supposedly, he's directing the next Halloween movie as well. So yeah, so that's gonna get him just automatic <laughs> grace, automatic supporters. Um, also, before I wake, right? That was one that was um, his. I didn't did not see that one. I don't think um, did I? That one that? has been in. Um, oh, that in, was the one all. you were so mad about the black goop, right? <laughs> Probably, uh, but yeah, that's one that's been on the list. Did I see that? Was that? No, has that been that in the theaters yet? I thought that was the one you were upset about the black goop. Maybe not. No, I I think you're thinking of the darkness. Well, could be. But yeah, there's tons of black goop on stuff, and um, <laughs> let's just clean that up, horror community. Let's get it cleaned up. But no, so Mike Flanagan, yes, I mean he's talented. I don't think anybody's arguing about that. But yeah, the trailer didn't excite me at all. But there again. I admit my own bias. It is a supernatural film. I don't love those, and that's fine. But to defend the film a little bit, as it opens, Josh, it's really impressive. It actually reminds me it's nearly on the level of quality as like the Conjuring films. You know how there are period pieces, mm -hmm. um, you know, set back in the day, what, what was it, 70s, you know, with um, now this is in 1967. Los Angeles and you got this widowed mother and her two daughters and they actually um, have this business where they they do rate readings or seances where they have people come into their home and they'll kind of read their palm and all that stuff and um, it, it's very fascinating because we see right from the opening scenes that they are they are fake you know they <laughs> they, they do these under the guise that it's real, but they have like all kind of little parlor tricks that they do to make mm. it seem real. But I like that. There is nothing, you know, their hearts are pure in this because they feel like they can help people. They can give them peace. They can basically 
tell them what they want to hear or what they need to hear about their loved ones who have passed away. And then for a price though, right? Yeah. Well, and they make money. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's a win-win. win-win. It's yeah. a, a symbiotic relationship where both people benefit. But, uh, what happens is the little, the little girl, I mean, they, they, they figure out like, this is around the time in this movie, at least of when the Ouija or Ouija board came out and they thought this would be fun to incorporate into our, our little, you know, program that we do. And so they get the Ouija board and it connects the daughter, the, the younger daughter with an evil presence in the house and she gets connected. And that's kind of the premise of this film. And that's where the trailer started to look stupid. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I, I tell you, there are definitely some creepy moments in this. I'll give it some credit. Like, um, like for example, and, and they show this in the trailer, so I don't feel like I'm revo- revealing any spoilers or anything, but like, like, like the little, <laughs> the little daughter, like she kind of gets like taken over or possessed and, and she'll like hurry up and get up in her like siblings ear and whisper really fast. And, and on one hand, that sounds funny to describe it, but it looks really creepy. And when somebody, did, like if somebody did that to me, came up with me, started whispering in my ear really fast, it would really kind of trip me out. So but didn't that lady at your work do that to you that time that you got freaked out? Yeah, she did kind of <laughs> get in my face like that. Yeah, it is a little bit like that. So maybe that's why I have a sensitivity. <laughs> but anyway. Can I say it, one thing? I thought the look looks like, you know, we... We saw we saw lights out earlier this year, right. and I was a little bit frustrated because um, although I liked it for the most part, I thought that the short was more effective, and I also thought the creature in the short was cooler looking, yes, like scarier. That and I felt like this little girl, just based on the trailer, looked like they kind of borrowed um, the look of the thing in lights out is that true or not true well i could see why you would say that but um but really it's just the thing where her eyes turn white you know like i don't they just turn all white something to do with the white eyes and the big smiley face together but yeah and and the uh you know she does the huge like where they drop her jaw like really far and she has a wide open jaw. Now that is a little bit unsettling because things like that do kind of freak me out a little bit. But the thing is, and this is the problem. It's just too much. It's, it's plainly, it's just obviously CGI. And I know a lot of the horror community loved it and appreciated it. And I do think it's a little creepy, but it's just, it's too blatantly CGI that it's distracting for me. And so it took down the scare level of it a little bit. And also, for me, the monster or the appearance of the monster, quote unquote, whatever the monster is in this movie, <laughs> but when, when we see the monster, that's a little underwhelming for me too. And But my biggest problem was where this film goes, it's like I was kind of critical and, and I, I, I never know how to explain this to a horror community, a, a bunch of horror fans, but... The new Evil Dead remake that we had in 2013, mm-hmm. um, I I just felt like, I, I don't know, like, you know how you were saying that Baskin, when they were in hell in Baskin, that those scenes weren't really your bag? Well, I'll tell you what's yeah. not my thing is when um, 
they in a in a horror movie they try to see how evil they can be like like how far they can push the evil tone and vibe mm. how dark and i felt like the new evil dead movie did that a little bit to the extent that it bothered me a little bit well this ouija i think that at the very end it takes a turn and tries to go as far and as hard dark as it can and and I'm not a I don't want horror movies that have happy endings or anything like that. I'm not asking for that. But I'm just saying when it's not earned and then you just try to take it as hard like a hard right into darkness as they can and it's not even deserved, it just irritates me. So when I get out of this movie, I was really frustrated and I just felt like they were trying to go for the jugular and they didn't deserve it. But for me, or Ouija Origin of Evil is a four out of ten. And I say avoid it. Sorry, Mike Flanagan fans. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you watch Hush instead. That's right. Are you going to see this? Ouija? Um, man, I was not intending to. But then you almost had me when you started talking about The Conjuring. But then I think you may have lost me again. So <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I mean, the first 30 minutes, I was like, wow. Wow, they are impressing me a lot in this film. But then... They stopped impressing. I'm not against it. It's not going to be on my like need to get to right away list though. Yeah, this one, I truly don't believe this would make your top 10 for the year. So don't worry about getting it in by the end of the year. (laughs) Okay. All right, Josh, I'm really excited to talk about this one. Let's move into our feature review of the eyes of my mother. Is this your mother? Yes. What did she do? She was a surgeon in Portugal. What kind? Eyes. We used to do the sections together. What happened to her? I remember I was fascinated by how the inside of the body looked. She always hoped I would be a surgeon one day. Now, here is a special little horror film, I think. I'm so glad you got to watch this. Do you think this is special? Hated it. Are you messing with me right now? I'm dead serious. You hated this? Hated it. Oh, man. (laughs) This is, okay, this is going to be interesting. This is a prime example of what we were just talking about. Um, (laughs) The for me the movie has to earn it i don't mind a bleak film i don't mind a disturbing film i don't mind a happy ending in a horror movie if it makes sense with the characters the plot if it's earned then it should it sh- the story and the characters and the and the situation should dictate the ending and if the ending doesn't make sense to me or where it goes doesn't make sense to me mm-hmm. it's, and it's not just the ending it's all along the way. Well, Each element has to be earned or else it or else it's unfulfilling for me as a as a piece of work. And so for me in this <laughs> situation, yeah. I feel like now do you did you ever see the fall? I'm going to lose so many listeners off of this comment. Do you remember the Gillian Anderson TV show The Fall? It's British. Yeah. Yeah. Serial killer cop show. Uh-huh. I watched so some I had, of it. I watched the first season and I stopped because um, it was bleak, but 
more than being bleak, it just seemed like the writers were abusing, <laughs> torturing, which is fine for a <laughs> horror audience, but abusing the audience by simply doing the worst possible thing that could happen next. Like mm. what's the most, what's the most awful thing we could have this, <laughs> this, this character do next. All right. That's what it is. Right. And in any given situation, and this film has the sensibilities of an independent, independent art house film. It seems thoughtful. It seems kind of well paced and interesting and like has depth. But what I suspect <laughs> is that it really is just saying what's the worst possible most <laughs> evil thing we can have happen next and uh, that's what they go with okay so i know i hear exactly where you're coming from and i understand it in fact i had I, I i don't love the film perfectly i mean i still have problems with it but i think what helped me and what i think may help you josh is if you look at this film and and by the way listeners we'll give you the premise in just a sec if you look at this film as kind of a, a an examination or a, a look at insanity, really, um, I happen to be on IMDb as we've been talking tonight, and I saw a film called Darling on there. And the premise for this film called Darling, which I don't even know what it is, this premise oh, is you should see Darling. Oh, really? I have I hadn't seen it. It's worth checking out. Okay, cool. Well, the premise for that on IMDb really described the premise of The Eyes of My Mother, which is a lonely girl's violent descent into madness. And her character, the the lead character, both as a child and as an adult, she's weird, right? I mean, she's just a weirdo, even as a kid, very weird. But then I thought, oh, okay, she's nuts, clearly. I mean when she's an adult it's obvious that she's nuts but when she's a child not so much but because of that behavior that doesn't make any sense because because that's what was bothering me with the film josh because i felt the same way you did but i'm like okay these characters are doing very weird things that don't make any sense and it's like okay well they're a nutty family what do you feel about that I did not find her weird really as a kid. I mean, I felt like she has a dad who was her dad seemed weird and I don't really get what his character was. I understand where he could have gone later in the film emotionally, but I didn't understand what his baseline was supposed to be. Um, the mom just seemed like a lady from the old country. You know, right. she she's from Portugal, I believe. Yes. And she's had this whole other life in another country. And then it presumably it has come to America as an older woman to raise a child in the countryside when she's been a doctor in another country and, and just, it just so her life, what it is now, what it was, it couldn't be more different. And so <laughs> she's just kind of, I, I've met a lot of people like that. Let me put it that way. The yeah. mom seemed very believable to me. And so the daughter being raised by this mother, who's such a unique character and the dad who just seems a little off in the middle of nowhere alone, is probably and watching uh, seems like all movies from like the forties or fifties or something like westerns. Westerns. Oh, were they all westerns? Yeah, they were all westerns. Yes. Inter interesting choice. I wonder if there's something to that we could discuss later. But um, I, I think so. In fact, yes. Okay. So she, I don't think they were that weird. I think she was about as normal as you could be under the circumstances that she was raised in. And then this really 
crazy thing happens. Right. And at first I just thought, okay, well, this is normal for a child who doesn't have an adult that is able to explain appropriately what's happened or is unwilling to explain appropriately what has happened. Yeah. And just has to kind of figure this out on their own. At first I was like, okay, this is all making sense. But the further and further it progressed, I just thought this doesn't make any sense. There's this isn't a lot. This is not the logical next step for this character. No, that's that. See, that's true. If if it were a normal person, but if she is nuts, then her illogical behavior is just you know. I, I just didn't see her break. I didn't see her break in nuts. So what I thought we were watching was Dogtooth. <laughs> where these people are just removed from society enough okay. in their own weird, weird world where what is abnormal seems normal because they don't know, they don't have a baseline normal. Right? Okay. Well, and so I thought that's what we were seeing, but what I, what I would say is that it um, didn't, it didn't track for me. Okay. It was like a bleaker dog tooth that didn't make sense to me. See, and I, I get that. I mean, I, I really do. Uh, I could not argue with your complaint because for most, for 80% of the film, honestly, I was feeling the same way and I was frustrated by it too, to be honest. But um, let me back up just for a second here for the listeners in case they're unfamiliar with this. This film, um, it's only like 76 minutes long. It's pretty short for a horror film. It's uh, the whole entire film is black and white. And honestly, I, I appreciate black and white film. I prefer color cinema. But I will say in this film, it works very well. I think it adds yeah. to the unsettling nature of it and it makes it more mm-hmm. nightmarish, I think is a good way to describe it. Um, yes. this, this was written, edited, and directed by Nicholas. Is it a PC or, or Pace or something? And it was mm-hmm. his directorial debut. And I'm really yeah. impressed with this is his first first film is now, it pesci is that, how you say, is that how you spell joe pesci i don't know it's similar yeah i think maybe it is nicholas pesci i wonder if he's related to joe pesci i don't think that's exactly how joe spells it but that's that's okay. kind of cool he, he could be he's from new york city new york anyway what a young he's a young guy too he's born in 1990 that's that makes me feel like i haven't done anything with my life <laughs> but, but anyway um this is a little bit, it's a touch arty, okay? And so I think maybe like between the black and white and some of the artistic decisions, I think people will pick up on that. And and basically it opens with this family, as Josh described, there is a traumatic experience that happens in the lives of this family. And from that point on, I feel like this this girl's life just it just descends into madness slowly and um and josh didn't love it now here's the thing the the three acts basically are are divided by these title cards like number one is mother number two is father number three is family just real quick i want to talk about family because before people get bored of this review and fast forward ahead i want to say this becomes i mean it's a horror film but this really becomes hardcore horror to me in the third act with family. Okay. What what happens there, Josh, is, I, I mean, I was terrified, like truly ter- terrified. Now, maybe, maybe for some of the more hardened 
horror fans out there listening, if you watch this, you'll be like, what, what's the big deal? But, but, but honestly, if you're, I'm the kind of person when I watch a film, I really put myself in the character's position. I relate to them. I empathize or sympathize with them. And when this happened, I was horrified. I was just like, my mouth is gaping open. I was scared. I was upset. I was really flustered. I watched this this morning when it, before I went to work, and I was disturbed for a long <laughs> oh, time. Yeah, it kind of rocked my day a little bit. So, anyway, go ahead. I'll only kick it back over to you, and then I got more to say. No, it's interesting. I mean, I thought that was a good scene um, or a good section of the film. I, I'm of two minds about it because I thought that was when the film really got g- good. There were two things that, sections I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed when someone comes over to the house. Yes. Kind of midway through. Like, a yeah, the visit. Okay. Yeah. And I really enjoyed this truck scene um, in the family section. Oh, yeah. I thought that those were the two best moments in the in the film. And I wanted more stuff like that. My, my you know, the downside to me of the family section is it just, again, it seems again like, well, here, what's the worst possible thing we can do all right let's go with that now i i could have lived with everything that happens in the film if the barn stuff hadn't been in there because to me that's where it really gets to to the pet level of um yes (laughs) of stuff that i just don't like i just it's so icky to me and just so uninteresting and not a world i want to explore I don't like, it. I like, I could, everything else that happens in the movie, I was 100% on board with, but that's enough when it's half the thing that it just kind of, I don't know. It, it is a lot of the, fa- see, I see the barn sequences basically as proof <laughs> that, that she's insane. It, yeah. that, that's kind of how I read that. But, um, yeah. What about, so a couple little tiny touches. So the opening scene, I just want to tell the listeners how this opens. The opening scene, the camera's kind of like, we're, we're inside, the camera's inside a truck, and we're kind of behind the truck driver's shoulder, looking out the front window, and it's black and white, and there's old, as Greg Amortis would say, old-timey music playing, <laughs> it's awesome, and nice. it's, it's going down the road, um, and there's a person who comes out and stands in the middle of the road, and uh, the truck stops and goes out to sea because the person is obviously in distress. And the person just kind of falls down on the ground. And then it goes to the title card, The Eyes of My Mother. Now, what I love about that is the truck driving along on a nice sunny day. It's it's uh, very pleasant. You got the old-timey music, which is pleasant. And then you got all of a sudden this kind of horror in a daylight setup, mm-hmm. which is interesting. And, and things like this happen a few times in the film. Like, for example, there's another scene where the, the father is driving home from work and on the radio, yeah. there's a news bulletin and it's not horror outright, okay? It has nothing to do with the story, actually, but it's unpleasant enough to create an edge in the audience. They're talking about these rag dolls that are highly flammable and there's a fire marshal warning about them. They're being recalled or whatever. <laughs> I love that. That was such a little yeah. touch. Had nothing to do with the story, really. But but mm-hmm. I thought, wow, this is neat because it's it seems pleasant. 
have this old time little radio news bulletin that seems quaint, but no, it's actually uh, kind of a, a threatening news story. And then the the watching, the frequent watching of the old westerns that the dad does, and then later the daughter does. Yeah, that's more pleasantness. But if you listen to the westerns, like the one western, um, they're talking in there about what a hanging sounds like like yeah. when somebody hangs and i'm like oh okay it seems quaint like it's a western but no this is actually there's a dark undertone here just yeah. like the family itself josh they seem like this quaint little farm family but there's a very dark undertone mm-hmm. no that's a really nice touch the westerns and let me talk about the good points of this film because i <laughs> i think i just automatically based on the way we got into this conversation, took this uh, kind of contrarian uh, position on the film. Um, It's extremely Mm well-made. And like you said, the photography looks really good in black and white. Uh, There are a lot of things to really appreciate. All of those details you mentioned um, are excellent. Save one, which I'm going to get to in one second. Okay. but I, but I really appreciated most of those little details. Uh, what we haven't really talked about yet is the main actress who I'm going to butcher her last name, but it's Kika Magalhães potentially close enough for me. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Okay. I am in love with her as an actress. She was so good and yet terrifying. She was so, um, vulnerable and yet creepy uh, she was such a strong performer. I thought I, yes. you know, I think she was maybe of all the films that I saw my favorite performer in all of the films that I saw mm-hmm. uh, that we're reviewing tonight. I mean, I just thought totally. she was incredible and I would watch her in anything. I mean, um, just exceptional. Um, there's, there's a lot to appreciate. I, honestly, the barn stuff is enough for me to dislike the film though. <laughs> yeah. and, and I, and you mentioned one thing that I actually thought was really lazy. And to me, an example of why I felt like this film is not as deep as it wants us to believe it is, why it's not as artful as it wants us to believe it is, why it's actually a lot more superficial than it seems okay. now. <laughs> and I think it's that opening shot with the truck and let me tell you why okay tell it because um this is a convention that's almost a uh a trite one at this point although i don't mind i know that within a lot of screenwriting communities it is seen as uh, such a oft occurring script element to start out the movie with a horror beat from late in the film that we're going to come around to and get back to later and see how we got there. Yes. Um, I don't hate it. Actually, it's, it's, it's something that I enjoy as a trope. I don't mind it at all, but it needs to be done right. Right. And mm -hmm. it needs to have an emotional or at least plot impact, right? There needs to be something that, that makes it pay off well. And I feel like this, is a perfect example of one that's just thrown in without the correct setup and payoff, or at least a setup and payoff that's meaningful. It's just basically just showing you one cool looking scene because, um, because it was shot really well because they've got a cool overhead shot. That's awesome. That overhead got, shot's incredible. 
Yeah. Yes. But so, to me, this is a, just this is just an example of <laughs> they are collecting all these elements and putting them together, but there's not really the proper thought into how does one thing lead to another? That's what I'm trying to say. So I agree. Uh, um, and I call it the all about Eve sequence, you know, okay. or, or structure because mm-hmm. the 1950 film, I think it was best picture winner that, that film actually is structured like that, where you see the opening scene is actually much later in the story and you get to a, a, that point And then it ends after that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. But and I agree with you that 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 shouldn't just be done willy nilly. Like there should be a reason for doing that. And I think in this case, the reason that justified it was that they wanted to show you that this is a this ultimately a horror film, just like the, the same way a slasher will open with a kill a lot of times. This yeah. they wanted to show you that, OK, this is going to get weird and it's going to get serious. But right. It's going to start really quaint. You know, and I think maybe they were trying to establish that is why. Sure. I mean, I think that I definitely think that they were trying to establish that, but I just, I think the scene they chose was a lazy choice and isn't as meaningful as it should be if you're going to use that structure, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, back and to me speaks, speaks a lot about how the rest of the film is constructed, constructed, which is ultimately my issue with the film despite not really aesthetically liking or tonally liking those scenes I've talked about in the barn um, it's really a problem of uh, uh, making sense and point in a leading to B leading to C you know yeah in a way that makes sense for the characters and the, and the story <laughs> well that's true so that's a good point about a leading to B leading to C and yeah my only defense of that could be craziness but yes it doesn't really flow into each other but I want to back you up on a point you said a minute ago. That opening didn't make it seem quite as sophisticated as it, it you know, they want it to be. Well, there was another arty type scene where we see her looking out a window and there's someone walking off in the distance and mm-hmm. she watches for a long time. And then, and then she goes out toward that person and the camera remains and, and we watch her go out mm-hmm. toward that person. And I thought, wow, this is going to be really good. And I was so excited to see how that played out because I'm like, they've got a, an artistic, genuine purpose for having mm-hmm. the camera in this huge, like long shot, like way back. And then all of a sudden, they just cop out, lose the, <laughs> I'm not saying lose their nerve, but all of a sudden we're in, <laughs> we're in close up and like that that long shot scene was basically pointless i thought the yeah. payoff was going to be in there too kind of like in um let me see <laughs> well uh let's see it's rob rob zombie film is it house of a thousand corpses where you have the the deputy get okay. shot from far away the, the camera just goes out 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 and we see the uh the lawman get killed it reminded me i I, I thought that that's what they were setting up there but not so not so so anyway i back you up on that but final thoughts though unless there were other things that we didn't cover no, that you want to cover. ultimately i still say this is about mental illness this is an odd film i think it's troubling i think it's haunting there are a lot of different horror elements in it even though they don't seem explicit but like there's uh some crazy i mean i almost don't even want to tell you the elements but i think it's worth seeing i mean she does a lot of monstrous things and you got to be kind of watching carefully 
or you don't pick up on all of them. Let me just say it like that. But this nutty girl is, uh, she reminds me a lot of carbon monoxide because she's like a slow, <laughs> slow, quiet, unexpected, undetected killer. Mm. And, um, and it, it's also tragically very sad. It's unthinkable. There are, un, there are scary concepts. And so for me, uh, the eyes are disturbing. Yeah, it is disturbing. So the eyes of my mother is uh, 7.5 out of 10 for me. I call it a strong rental at least once. This is worth watching once. And I do, I do consider it one of the must-sees for 2016. And if you appreciate films with, you know, with some artistic merit, then I think that the HMP listeners out there should try to catch this one for their top 10 list just to see if it ranks in there. But what do you say, Wolfman? <sighs> It's hard, you know. I, I struggle with I struggle with these that I want to give it the credit for what it accomplishes, even though I didn't like it. So, um, you know, I felt like it was high quality in a lot of ways, but it was a miserable experience, and I felt like a, at least part of my misery was coming from uh, bad writing, in my, in my opinion. Um, I thought it was beautifully shot, and it was uh, wonderfully. Acted acted it i love the location i love all of the all of the choices other than um a lot of the structural writing choices and that i don't know it was just enough to really bum me out i mean i was depressed i was so depressed after i watched this movie <laughs> it's hard it's a hard movie yeah i mean i i was saying to some of the guys in our community it's, it's like a much bleaker dog tooth as i mentioned or a slow burn Less overt, less exciting, less plot-heavy martyrs. <laughs> <laughs> wow. In terms of the way I experienced it, it was really well-made, but totally bummed me out. So um, I thought you were going to hate this movie. And I, really? And I, uh, yeah, I told everyone <laughs> that. Jay is going to hate this. I can't wait till, till I hear his review. Um, I thought I was going to be defending it, to be honest. Mm. Um, but, you know, sometimes... Like I've I've been really hard on this. I think sometimes just for the sake of a session, we kind of get into these um, <laughs> positions and kind of just try to tease out all of the different elements of the movie. I didn't. Yes. I think there was a lot to appreciate about this movie. I just didn't ultimately enjoy my experience. Um, so for me, I, I'm going to go ahead and give it a six, but I, I call it an avoid. An avoid. Wow. Avoid. So avoid altogether. Don't even don't even watch it once. Don't even try it out. Don't even stream it. I'm just just checking. No, I mean, <laughs> it would be worth it for Kika, the actress, to see her. Her performance is worth seeing. I don't think there's any other element of the film that makes it stand out enough that would make it something you have to see. I think it is nicely shot, but it. A nice, more nicely shot than a million other movies. Not that you have to go see this one. Um, I think her performance is the single thing that really makes it uh, worth searching out. But it's it's not one that I'm recommending people do. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And it, the description on IMDb says drama, horror, and I I'd say that's accurate. I think this yeah. definitely isn't for the like if you're a less patient like horror viewer. Then, um, yeah, it's probably not for you, but for me, it's funny because you called it a void. I call it a must see for 2016. That's hilarious. <laughs> really intriguing. I think one weakness is the poster art. 
I, I was not excited mm-hmm. about seeing it because just looking at the poster, you know, I was like, what is this? So I don't know. More black goop, you know, even though it's, it's, <laughs> it's probably just blood and black and white. But anyway, I was just not impressed with the poster, but I think it's worth checking out. And Josh it's says avoid that. It. It's just, you know, typical. Not, just not good. Okay. <laughs> It doesn't, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't stand out. <laughs> so at this point, let's move into another holiday greeting from the Sci-Fi Podcast. Okay, so uh, Jason, you know, he wants us to do a Christmas thing for the podcast. I don't know, it's one of his ideas. So I was thinking what we could do is, it's got to be short, right? So I thought we could do some cool music, like leading up to it, like, or I don't know, Christmas music, you know, like... Is there any, like, space Christmas music? Do they celebrate Christmas in space? Klingons probably do. No. No? Okay, what about, like, funny voices? Do we know any celebrities? Who do we know? Someone that could maybe do a voice. Like, do we know any celebrities with cool voices? I don't think we do. Do we know anyone that can fake them? Maybe. No. Okay. What about... I mean, we could always just say, like, Merry Christmas from the Sci-Fi Podcast. Yeah, that seems good. You think it seems good? I think it seems kind of like it needs an explosion or something. Maybe some lasers? Yeah, like... <laughs> or do you like what do you like better for laser sound? Pew, pew? Yeah, but I think lasers first, then explosion. Do you want to do lasers? Okay. Yeah, probably that. So lasers, right? You do laser sound. Pew, pew, pew. And then, it's like <laughs> and then like at the same time, it's like, Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas from, from the, the Sci-Fi, Sci-Fi podcast. podcast. Josh, I love, or I should say Space Wolf. Because you're Space Wolf over there. <laughs> I love the Sci-Fi Podcast. I think that is an amazing crew. They are hilarious. And what the listeners should know, if you're unfamiliar with that show, is that if you like horror movie podcasts, if you like the structure here, if you like the way we analyze films and really sink our teeth into the genre, well, that's exactly what the Sci-Fi Podcast is, but they do it for sci-fi movies. Right, Josh? Yeah, except for they also have Matroid and Station, who are a little bit zanier than anybody we have on our show. True. And they have Brain, who is a lot more um, studious than anybody we have on the show. But something about their group of people, the end result is kind of a, a similar mixture to what we've got going on. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really funny. It's almost like it's weird because the various podcasts are blends of things. Like, uh, for example... I think Joel Robertson's Retro Movie Geek, I think that is a blend of GeekCast Live podcast and Movie Podcast Weekly. I think that's what that turns out to be. And then I think the Sci-Fi podcast is a blend of MPW and HMP. Like I I just it's just weird. I don't know, but it's cool. So please check out the sci-fi podcast.com. I think you'll have a blast. Speaking of having a blast, Josh, I've been so excited to hear your review. Your feature review of Train to Busan. Okay, Train to Busan is a 2016 film directed by Yan Sang Ho. Probably mispronouncing that, just FYI. <laughs> um, this is another Korean film. And I would say, uh, well, 
IMDb has it listed here as an action drama horror. I think that's fair. Um, it is as zombie as any other zombie film, so it does not skimp in any way on the horror here, but uh, just by the nature of the situation that they're in, it is an action film, and I would say to its credit, it's also a drama in that it takes all of its characters and their relationships very seriously, which I think elevates this above just a standard zombie film. So um, this is really good. And it's got um, a pretty simple premise. You've got, (laughs) it's so weird. When you review this many movies, it really becomes apparent how similar they all are to one another. But you've got an unattentive father and his daughter. <laughs> okay. Or inattentive. Is it inattentive inattentive. or inattentive? That's correct. Inattentive. I was inattentive when they were teaching me how to spell and pronounce. Well, it, it is like quarter after one for us right now. So <laughs> um, you've got this father who is not paying attention to his little daughter. And that's all she really wants is for her dad to be there for her. But he's a businessman who's doing his thing. And he's also kind of a selfish guy and out looking out for number one. And so um, he's kind of a heel at, at the beginning of our story. He boards a train where he is going to take his daughter. Now I'm blanking where they're going. I think to go to see her mother. Aren't they going to Basan? <laughs> yeah, they are going to Basan. Yeah. Okay, they're leaving just Seoul and they're they're heading to Basan. And um, we see early on in the film a deer turns on a female deer. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I'll stop up. <laughs> it's a zombie deer. Um I don't really like I don't care for that scene. That might be my only scene in the film I don't see what there's two moments in the film. I don't get why they're there. That's one of them. But what we have is they board this train and a sick infected person gets on the train just as it's about to leave. And this is one of those bullet trains that they have in Asia that just zoom across the country at <laughs> so, amazing speeds. So you can't jump off of it. There's no jumping off this train. Right. Or you're dead. Yes. Yeah, you're dead. And, um, these are outbreak zombies. So, um, Look, my preferred zombie is the living, dead, slow-moving zombie, but I'm not opposed to the viral, fast-moving zombie. And these are this virus is quick-moving, and the zombies are even quicker. Is it like the rage virus in 28 Days Later? It's faster, and they're faster and more frantic. This is like the rage zombies got an adrenaline shot, and they're a thousand of them. They're just like, it's just unrelenting madcap, like you craziness with these zombies. You couldn't survive that. Honestly, like there's no way somebody could survive. Well, they that. think some ways. So these on, they've got interesting zombie rules here. It's things that I've never heard of before. Things that we haven't really seen and they're cool. And they, they play with these rules in a really interesting way. And this movie reminds me a little bit of Snowpiercer. I don't know if you saw that. Another oh, Korean. Yeah. Love it. So that's got all, you know, an American and British cast, but it's a Korean produced film. Um, Snowpiercer. Yeah. I've heard people Korean. say it's like uh, 28 days later meets Snowpiercer to describe this. Yeah. That's not a bad description. So what you have here is these characters are all on this train. The outbreak is happening. 
people are separated from their loved ones. Uh, you know, certain cars are safe. Others aren't the, the train is stopping at different places along the way. Some of which are under quarantine, some of which are where everyone's dead. And these characters have to survive all of this um, on this train to Basan. And it is just a fast moving roller coaster ride. And it's a blast. I mean, this is one of my, Favorite films of the year. This will make my top 10 list. It's probably one of my top 10 zombie movies. Um, but what it does right is really not the zombies, actually, which is weird. Like, I, I feel like I don't even really think of the zombies when I think of this film as much as I think about the drama, dramatic elements. And I think that's what I've always appreciated most about zombie movies is that they're really not about the zombies. They're about the people and how do the people treat each other. And like I talked about with the other Korean film, this has that strange Korean tone that is for me, hard for me to find. This is more comedic than, um, or maybe not comedic, but just a little more lively. It's up. It's, it's uh, energetic uh, compared to any of the other Korean films I've seen. Is it kind of a beat? Would you say? It's, it, uh, I don't know if a beat is the right word, but the, um, <laughs> some of the characters are, are more caricatures than you would normally see in a, than I've seen in other Korean films. Like some of the bad guys, especially are just kind of like almost like comedy bad guy characters. Like it's like, it's so ridiculous, but it works in the, the way that they present it in this film. I, I it's mm. um, they, and that's the thing that I've been impressed with Korean films about is that they're able to juggle seemingly contrasting tones relatively uh easily so yeah neat um yeah it's a it's a zombie movie on a fast train and it's really good and it's about these people and it's about heroism and it's about um choosing to be selfish or to be selfless and there are real there are a lot of like cheer moments in this where you really there are characters here who are willing to help one another and it makes you appreciate humanity. And there are characters here who are not willing to help each other. And it, and you kind of like root for them to die. <laughs> right. Um, I don't know. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's uh, one of the more fun films I saw this year. I didn't see a lot of fun films this year. Uh, this was probably top of that list in terms of just being an exciting ride with, um, death at stake and monsters in the mix is the uh, father daughter relationship. Is that pretty like, is that engaging to the heartstrings, so to speak? Like the it's fact not as, it's not as much as I would like it to be. There are other characters who are kind of secondary characters and tertiary characters who I think their relationships, probably the secondary characters have the most engaging relationship. There's a, there's a husband and his pregnant wife. And they are not the primary focus, but I think they are my two favorite characters in the movie. Neat. Um, the dad and the daughter, I'm not sure they ever click 100% for me, but the dad as his own journey is excellent. Like his, his okay. own um, arc and evolution is great. Um, and the actress who plays the daughter is really strong too, but um their relationship isn't actually as much as um, we see him 
change throughout the film. And as much as their relationship is probably the reason for that, we actually don't see them on screen together a whole lot of the film to avoid spoilers, but um, they're not together all the time. Okay. Interesting. Man, I can't wait to see this one. I'm I'm very excited about it. Um, now I feel dumb for choosing Pet to watch <laughs> over over watching this tonight before the show. <laughs> but um, I will definitely get to this before the top ten episode because yeah, everybody seems to love this, and I love I love zombies, especially the infected, fast moving zombies. That's my thing. That's my jam. So, what do you rate Train to Busan? I'm going to give it an eight and I am going to buy it myself, but I could call it a high priority rental. If, uh, if you're, you don't want to do the blind buy, it's not, it's not a definite buy. I think it's probably a, it's a high priority rental eight, but I'm going to buy it. Okay. (laughs) Wow. I, I was, I guess I was expecting a little bit higher than that. Like what, what keeps you away from a 10 on this? Just curious. That's a good question. There are a few elements that I don't love that are zombie related. There is an element of in the um, World War Z where the the zombies all kind of climb one another. Yeah. I actually liked that in World War Z. I know a lot of people hated that. I the, the way they do it here is also, in my opinion, interesting, but it just seemed like an unnecessary thing and it seemed redundant. It seemed... Um, like it had already been done. So I, I, there were moments like that, this film, like where it just seemed as though they felt like they had to over explain it. I feel like the film was its strongest when it's contained to the train because right. that's where it needs to be. That's what the movie is. It's the train to Basan. Like that's the movie. Um, I don't need any of the other big sequences that they try to kind of like make it more like other zombie movies. They don't need that be your movie. Um, there are, there's unnecessary exposition at the beginning that I talked about with the deer, like just skip ahead, be on the train, start on the train. That, that's, that's your movie. Right. Um, I don't need the other five minutes at the beginning. And then there's a completely pointless, but also slightly frustrating scene toward the middle, like the three fourths of the way through where they try to explain what started the virus. Oh, first of all, they don't give you enough information to actually explain it yeah and and it's just it's like a lazy one line that's supposed to impact you on i think on emotional level but for me it was just like just cut that out you don't need that it didn't help anything and if anything it just detracted from me um (laughs) and then there are a couple of bad cgi shots again it's just them trying to get outside the train and snowpiercer actually had this exact same problem probably had the same soul uh, CGI company doing the effects, but um, <laughs> when they go outside the train, it's just like, yeah, that's a CGI train. And you, d- I didn't need this big sweeping train shot. I just, I'm happy to stay inside the train. So right. uh, there's not big things. These are all little nitpicks, but the sum total for me is a, is a point or two off. Um, yeah. That sounds, sounds very reasonable. And um, I could see now why you'd rate it an eight, but yeah, I'm excited. Thanks for uh, reviewing that. I'm sold. I definitely want to see that right away. Get it sold? Yes. Sold. (laughs) Well done. Well done. Okay, so finally, before we start to wrap up, this is just very quick. We haven't done a Frankensteinian episode in a long time. And what happens is, for Movie Podcast Weekly, I go to the theater every week. 
I try to see the new stuff that's in theaters and so forth. And sometimes I end up seeing things that are uh, uh, like more on the horror periphery is what I would call it. I wouldn't necessarily call them horror films, but they might be of interest to horror fans. I'll say like, for example, um, you know, a few weeks ago we did that horror movies for little monsters. It was like a horror movies for kids episode. Right. Well, there was a recent Tim Burton film, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. I wouldn't call it a horror movie, but it's the usual Tim Burton uh, macabre stuff. And, uh, you know, I like I know my my son, for example, would love this because he loves uh, the macabre and it does have monsters in it. They're all the same kind of monsters. It's not a great. It really wasn't my cup of tea, but I'm just saying if you got kids who like horror type stuff, then they'd probably like it. It's PG-13. And by the way, I'd say that rating is right on the money. It's not a PG kids movie, just so you know. I mean, it's got some extreme stuff in it, like monsters are poking out people's eyes and stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's kind of intense. And then um, speaking of trains, there's a movie called The Girl on the Train. And the only reason I just want to mention that, it's really more of a kind of a mystery thriller um, than, but there is a, a a kill scene, like a murder scene on this that is extremely disturbing. And I don't know really why, if it was the context and, you know, because in a horror film, when you watch a horror film, Josh, you're like ready to see a bunch of kills. When you watch right. drama, you're not really ready to see kills. Well, this shows a very disturbing um, kill, and it ended up being um, one of the more disturbing kills I've seen in 2016, and that's The Girl on the Train. Not a great movie, but it's okay. And then um, there's a movie called Morgan, which was better than I thought it was going to be, and I would really call this a thriller, not horror, just to be clear. But um, it's a little creepy, actually, and it goes in some horror places. Now I think probably some people would put this on a horror list and I could, I could get behind that. But for me, I just call it really a, like a thriller, sci-fi mystery type drama, but it's interesting. I think horror fans might appreciate it. Did you see any of those, Josh? No, I did want to ask you about the girl on the train though, because as you know, I'm a big mystery fan and I had heard kind of mixed reviews on that one. So I was going to ask you if I thought that was any good. Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's it's a little bit contrived, like when when it all comes down to it, like there there's a that gets on my nerves, you know, like especially in a mystery when there's a a great deal of contrivance there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I don't know how you feel about that, but I mean, it, it did seem like your kind of movie. I mean, it's a mystery okay. and it's a train movie, and so mm-hmm. I at first I thought you'd like it, but I mean, for me, I ended up coming in at a six on it i called it a rental um don't watch it with your grandma it's got a lot of love loving in it loving (laughs) that's right (laughs) um there's one movie on the periphery of horror that i almost brought to review here i know some of our listeners have seen it and maybe even have it on their list for me it wasn't quite horror um it's called they look like people i don't know if you've seen that one around but um it's an interesting indie drama with horror and sci-fi um, kind of surrounding it. And 
it's it's worth checking out. It's it's not great, but um, that one's streaming on Netflix right now. If people are interested, and um, two things that I thought of too late to about Trade of Busan, um, Howl, the werewolf movie, is one that probably it's more similar to than Snowpiercer in actuality. Oh, um, and then um, the speed with which the zombies move, I realized that the thing that was in the back of my head was kind of those ramped up attacks during uh, Mad Max Fury Road, how everything kind of looks like it's in fast forward a little <laughs> bit. Yes. That's kind of the speed with which the zombies are attacking um, in Train to Busan. So, Interesting. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, cool. That's good to know. All right. And then the very last thing we have to do on this episode here is our good friend, Kagan Breitenbach, the HMP listener of 2016, listener of the year. <laughs> he Let's sent, see if he can do it again. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Clean <He's>, slate. <laughs> that's funny. He sent us uh, a little recording clip here. It's about two minutes long of him announcing the, the winner, I guess. So I have not heard this yet, so I'm just going to play it outright and see what Kagan has to say. Hey guys, this is Kagan calling in to announce the winner of Slasher Madness. First, I wanted to say thanks to all the HMP hosts as well as Greg and Mortis for the amazing 80s slasher coverage. They've been really awesome episodes, some of my very favorite, and I know all of us listeners really appreciate all the work you do. Just a couple things I want to reiterate about Slasher Madness. First, I didn't include Halloween 1978. All I gotta say is blasphemer. Because it's not technically an 80s movie and because I believe it would have run away with it, uh, second, the rules of the competition said pick your favorite, not which film is most representative of the slasher genre. The Prowler is maybe the best example of an 80s slasher if I had to pick one. Now, I know there's been some controversy over a certain <laughs> film making it to the finals. I really believe that the love that's out there for this movie is based 85 to 90% in people's <laughs> nostalgia. But I want to let you know that ultimately it's been a really nice, clean fight. The Friday the 13th fans are real little crybabies. And I'm appreciative that the hosts were honorable and didn't do anything to influence the voting with their own opinions. But what I'm telling you is you it's a still important that you vote for the better of these two movies. Yeah, obviously. So without any further ado, I present to you the winner of Slasher Madness. Did you know that a young boy drowned the year before those two others were killed? The counselors weren't paying any attention. They were making love while that young boy drowned. His name was Jason. So big congratulations to one of my very favorite horror films, which is Friday the 13th from 1980. You're damn by right. By popular vote, the official favorite slasher of the <laughs> horror movie podcast community. Thanks to everybody who voted, and uh, thanks to Horror Movie Podcast for letting us do this. Talk to you later. And thanks to Kagan. And by the way, just want to point out here, not rubbing it in, but that was Jay of the Dead's number one pick. Yeah, and when we did our top 10 of the 80s, that was my number one. Yeah, man, there are going to be some ep upset people. I, just based on what I saw happening on Instagram and Twitter as uh, the polls went out earlier today, people fighting for their film and saying, you're crazy if you vote for this one. No, you're crazy if you vote for that one. Yeah. Um, pe people saying, well... You know, Nightmare is my favorite film, but if I'm talking slashers, I'm going to pick this. And then people who are Nightmare fans saying, how dare you? You know, you pick the movie that's the better movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be fun. That's why we're all horror fans is because we like to uh, 
whine and complain and uh <laughs> you know i think i said it pretty pretty well in, the, in that clip no but um but as sal said you're not a true horror fan until you randomly hate another type of horror because you love another so much so. that was hilarious <laughs> that's one of my favorite all-time quotes but uh yeah and, and if people are mad about the slasher madness um results i say uh light your torches and give kagan chase <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a great I think it's a great pick I honestly I because I for someone who was really upset that the Halloween franchise went out so quickly and films like the burning and the prowler did not last as long as I believe they should have um, I still feel like these final two were really strong entries you know I'm someone who doesn't uh, necessarily mix the supernatural into my slashers when I think of them I think a nightmare on Elm Street is the more inventive of the two films it's probably the better made in a lot of ways of the two films but um we're talking 80 slashers i think it's hard to go with anything other than really the one that is the first 80 slasher and uh not many have done it as well as they did initially so that's right it's well deserved indeed you're here <laughs> well everybody after about what was this josh four hours or so <laughs> like, yeah about, about that three and a half to four uh, i think that just about wraps up episode 106 our frankensteinian episode of horror movie podcast we thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed this show and at this point after four hours josh i'm gonna turn it over to wolfman josh for his favorite part of this episode and that is telling them about the next episode <laughs> <laughs> Well, we've got a Christmas episode coming up. It's going to be fun. We have already covered a lot of Christmas movies. So go to horrormoviepodcast.com. Check the sidebar. You can find all of our Christmas reviews of Krampus and Gremlins and uh, Christmas Horror Story and uh, Christmas Evil and Black Christmas and Silent Night, Deadly Night and Silent Night, Bloody Night. They're all there on the sidebar. We've reviewed all of those. What are we going to review this year? Well, some other Christmas movies. And it's going to be great. Right. It's one of my favorite shows of the year. It is your favorite. I mean, you love this show. You, you, I love it. You've been sending like Yuletide greetings in our email inboxes <laughs> about <laughs> like you're so pumped about it. You feel the, the way about the Christmas episode that I feel about the top 10 episode. That's true. It's absolutely true. I love it. I just love Christmas. <laughs> it is my favorite holiday, even trumping Halloween. But to add horror to my Christmas, ooh, how could it get better than that? Uh, that's, that's about as good as it can get for to, me. To quote Stephen Lang, uh, it's enough to give me the goosebumps, <laughs> right? From Avatar. Exactly. Nobody loves Avatar except me. <laughs> Go to hell, everybody that doesn't like Avatar. Loves Avatar. Who does? One. Oh, I know, I know. I love, I love one. That's why I like one. That's why he's my favorite. <laughs> That's the only one. Um, so, <laughs> listen, we've got a couple more contests. I'm not going to talk about them for 45 minutes, but I, I'll give you a hint. If you have not yet rated this podcast five stars and leave, left us a review on iTunes... Uh, that's a really great way to put yourself in contention for one of the contests we have coming up. It's also a really um, great way to piss me off. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> totally kidding, Josh. Jeez. There will also be a tweet that goes out with regard to Cryptocurium, the people who gave us those beautiful slasher ornaments. Awesome. 
if you follow Crypticurium on Twitter, follow us on Twitter and retweet that, that will put you in contention for their giveaway. Um, but the other giveaway is this really cool Krampus t-shirt that it's a Fright Rags original. They gave us that as a gift and we are going to give that to our li- to our listener, our listener, listener. Um, wow. but, uh, Say that again, that to our listeners, because it, it did like a record scratch where it made it repeated you saying it like six times. Maybe I'll leave it in there because it was so awesome <laughs> <laughs> to our listener, to our lit, lit, lit listeners. It was awesome. Sorry. How about this? I'm going to. We've, we've got two awesome giveaways coming up in the next episode. The Crypticurium Slasher Ornaments and a awesome Krampus t-shirt that's an original from Fright Rags. I'm going to put the rules to win those in the show notes for this episode. And we will do the drawing on the very next episode. Okay. And watch how I do this part. Watch this. You want to leave comments? Go to horrormoviepodcast.com. Leave them on the website. Our email is horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. Our voicemail is 801-382-8789. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, right? Um, we have archives on our website for the weekly horror movie podcast and Horror Metropolis, Josh. And they can subscribe free in iTunes. And we want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for our theme song. And we want to thank Kagan for enhancing that theme song. And... Um, we also want to thank especially our special guest tonight, Allison with a Y from Oregon. Yeah. It was wonderful to have her. Allison's the best. And I think that's it for episode 106. Now, did you give your plugs, Josh, for all your other shows that they can hear you at? Um, uh, I'm on a show called Movie Streamcast, moviestreamcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Icarus Arts. That's right. And I'm over on Movie Podcast Weekly, where we are coming up on episode 220, which is our top 10 best movies of 2016. It's going to be a great show. I hope everyone will join us for that. And uh, send us your top 10 list. You could win a prize. It's awesome. There's one other really cool thing that's going to come up on our top 10 show this year that um, I just thought of, Jay, and I'm springing it on you right now. Dino put out an awesome tweet asking us what some of our movie related um, New Year's resolutions were and I said let's get those from all the listeners and we'll read some of our listeners movie related resolutions uh, on our year end show so that would be kind of fun Dino's is he's going to catch up on his blind spots of Hitchcock filmography and the Universal Monsters that's That's cool Yes, I've heard him say that, and I think that's a great goal. And uh, yeah, we'll do that. We'll talk about our New Year's resolutions for 2017. Can't wait. So I think that's it for episode 106. We thank you for listening and join us again next Friday for our Christmas Horror 2016 episode on Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Obviously. Obviously.